0: Hello and welcome to the Two Guys Four Balls
1: Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to another Two Guys Four Balls podcast. In this episode, we're gonna be dissecting week 10 in the NFL. Uh, week 10 started off with the Thursday night game between Atlanta and Carolina, with Carolina winning 25 to 15. Um, and looking fresh as hell doing it. Uh, the all-black uniforms are definitely one of my favorite uniforms of the year. Um, that matte black uh, helmet was dope to me. I like I that look. Um, I don't want everyone going to black uniforms. I think there's too many black uniforms happening in the NFL. But I do like the fact that the Panthers have black in their regular uniforms and then have the all-black alternates. Um, uh, the game, on the other hand, was dominated by Carolina, if you really watched it. Uh, Deontay Foreman uh, put the Panthers on his back and legs um, and just ran through that Atlanta defense. Um, Marcus Mariota looked like a rookie again, like with some of the decision-making that he was having for the Falcons. I personally thought they were going to go to Ritter in the second half, and they didn't. Um, I think that should be talked about going into the future of for this team. I do understand that they are fighting for a division title, which seemed improbable to start the season. But if Mariota is not holding on to the ball and making terrible decisions, you might as well have the rookie quarterback back there. Um, you know, I have a very sim- similar sentiment to a team in that same division. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But um, Mariota <laughs> being in the game and, and not doing much for you, I think, is hurting this team. Uh, one throw, he's laying on the ground on his back, and he just threw it up in the air. Thank God he was down, because it was a pick. <laughs> but that I just don't understand the decision making there. It just doesn't. That's that's something that a rookie would do. That's something that I, Kenny Pickett is doing. You know, like, I just don't understand his mindset there. So that was just you know there's just there, but there was more throws than just that one that he made, where he's scrambling and then just forcing the ball or throwing across his body and. And he's having picks or near picks or, and, and just trying to do too much when a play is breaking down. That's not what they have you in there for. They have you in there for a veteran leadership to hold on to the ball. Cause this team can't win if they lose the turnover battle. And like I said, they couldn't stop Deontay Foreman. Um, so unfortunately PJ Walker gets hurt in this game, a uh, high ankle sprain, which for some reason, I guess the Carolina Panthers quarterback room just all want to have ankle sprains this season. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Baker Mayfield gets to start next week, uh, and he gets to see the Ravens, so we'll get to see a crappy performance from him again. Um, but besides Deontay Foreman running all over the Falcons and the Panthers' defense playing okay, uh, I mean, they held Atlanta 15 points, but the offense for Atlanta was not existent the whole game. It just, just, again, Mary Ode kind of set the tone with doing some dumb stuff, and it just seems like, uh, Cordell Patterson isn't healthy yet, so um, you know it was just it was just a bad game overall for Atlanta for a game that people thought they should win, and and to kind of contend with Tampa Bay, they they needed this
1: win. The things that I'm going to be talking about a lot in this episode is questionable approaches to games for a lot of these teams, and also teams that approach the game the right way, because I felt like that was a common theme this weekend. And, you know, going back to last Thursday as well. I don't understand the Atlanta Falcons approach to this game. I thought this was going to be a game where you're going to see pretty much 1930 style football. Both teams just come out and just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, because both of these teams are designed for that. This was the second time all year and the first time since week one that Marcus Mariota attempted 30 passes in a game, and I don't understand why. I just don't understand why that was the approach in this game. Now, I have talked about before how, you know, the Falcons needed to throw the ball more because they did spend high draft picks, top 10 picks on Kyle Pitts and Drake London, and they are just out there doing nothing. So I'm asking why you don't throw the ball to them at all, but the response is tipping the scale too far in the other direction. Now, I watched the Falcons a few weeks ago in a game where they trailed double digits the entire game against Cincinnati, only attempt 13 passes. They, they made no effort to try to come back in that game. And then I watched the Falcons in this game, and in a game that was reasonably close for the majority of the game, the Falcons abandoned the run. This is a team that runs, runs, runs. None of their running backs hit double figure rushing attempts in this game. Normally it's at least two of their running backs that hit double digit rushing attempts. So I, I just don't understand why they decided a short week in adverse weather conditions was the time to go and, and throw the ball and not throw the ball to their guys, throw the ball to Demir bird and Kadell Hodge and guys like this throwing the ball to Tyler Algier who got negative 17 receiving yards. I don't know how that's possible. And and Algier was very consistent. His three catches went for negative five yards, negative six yards, and negative six yards. Very consistent. Negative five was your best play in the passing game. Algier, who normally isn't involved in the passing game at all, all of a sudden you're throwing these dump-offs to him where he's clearly not open. I just did not understand Atlanta's approach in this game. It's like they completely lost track of who they were And just went off script and it didn't go well at all. I'm glad they didn't pull Desmond Ritter into this game because I think if you're going to start a rookie on the road in adverse weather conditions, coming off of a short week to prepare is not the time to bring him in. I'd rather come with a clean slate. Now Atlanta, you got a mini bye. Now you're going home next week. Maybe that would be more of a time that made sense to start looking at Desmond Ritter as an option because Mariota and I talked earlier in the season about how I felt like Mariota had a good grasp of this offense. It, it's starting to fall apart. He's starting to do that thing that I've talked about many times on here, where when you're a backup caliber quarterback for a few games, you can look good, but the longer you play, the more we see why you're a backup quarterback. And so, yeah, Atlanta's got some things to, to, to look at. I know it's going to be tempting to stick with Mariota because they are still in the weak division race, but, uh, yeah, we, we're starting to get close to Desmond Ritter time if Mariota continues to look this wild <laughs> with some of his decision making. Uh, as for Carolina, Carolina stuck to their guns. Carolina did what made sense. Uh, Deontay Foreman, on a short week, ran the ball 31 times. <laughs> they they just kept feeding them and feeding them. Uh, that, that was the right approach. Uh, and Foreman, a guy I've talked about, he's been productive when given the opportunities over the course of the last couple of seasons. Uh, looks like the the Panthers have a piece in this offense. I'm not saying he's a superstar running back or anything like that, but he's a piece that I think they need to keep and make a uh, significant part of this offense moving forward. The uh, Visca Chenault got off for a long touchdown run in this game. There's, I've said it before. You're seeing the type of player he is. He's most effective when he's getting the ball around the goal, around the line of scrimmage. Excuse me. Uh, he's not going to be a receiver that's going to go and make big plays down the field as far as running routes down the field. But if you give him the ball in the backfield, he's a gimmick type player. Just use him in that way and let him do what he does. Uh, Chenault's longest two touchdowns of his career have both come this season. So if the Panthers seem to be figuring out a little something with him, I'd like to see them sprinkle him a little more. Let him kind of play a Curtis Samuel or a Isaiah McKenzie type role where you're mostly a gimmick player who every now and then runs a more traditional route. Uh, Like you said, P.J. Walker is out. You're back to Baker Mayfield. Uh, That doesn't make a whole bunch of difference to me. Uh, I do think Mayfield is the best quarterback on this roster. Not saying a whole lot. I did talk last week about how disappointed I was in the Panthers defense because I like so many of their young players. So it was nice to see their young players, the guys I like making plays in this game. J.C. Horn got an interception on one of those poor Mariota decisions. Uh, my guy Frankie Louvu got a couple of sacks in this game Brian Burns had a sack so you, you saw those young guys show up for Carolina defensively and they are young so there's going to be some consistency but I, I like the potential they have and I just want to see them play more steady football down the second half of the season now we're going to get into the first ever Munich game the Tampa Bay Buccaneers scoring a 21-16 win over the Seattle Seahawks Uh the winner's uh for this game seemed to be in the crowd a lot of free-flowing beer was uh one of the hot topics of this game as it should have been Uh, tom brady gets a, a win in his fourth different country for whatever that stat's worth i don't think so many other players have had that opportunity but uh yeah so that's fun i am going to immediately start this off by blowing the whistle who designed the play who in the buccaneers organization designed the play to have Leonard Fournette attempt to throw the ball to Tom Brady across the field while challenging the NFL leader in interceptions in Tariq Wood. How exactly did you think that play was going to work out? I I just want to know, under what scenario was that play going to be successful? Tom Brady is one of the greatest players in history. He didn't become one of the greatest players in history by trying to challenge one of the most athletic corners in football on a downfield route. I just I don't understand why you do that.
0: 45 years young, man, 45 years young.
1: (laughs) It's it's one of the silliest things I've seen. And, you know, Tampa Bay, they start getting a little rhythm. They've played a little better recently. They're starting to get some wins. They're watching the rest of the division continue to crumble. So I guess they're just getting too comfortable. And just decided to try anything. They were up 14-3 at the time. They had a chance to put Seattle away quickly. And they ran that play. <laughs> so that's that's the kind of play where you're tempted to fire somebody, at least it. I'd put somebody on admin leave for calling that play. But uh getting into the rest of the game, a couple a few good signs for Tampa Bay in this game. Uh, one, Chris Godwin finally sees the end zone for the first time all season. That's a good sign for him. He also was more involved, more downfield. Most of his catches all year long seemed to be like five, seven yards away from the line of scrimmage. You saw Godwin's guy get targeted on a couple of deeper passes, not deep shots necessarily, but more intermediate shots. And that's a good sign to me. Godwin did mention that he's still in his recovery process from last year's knee injury, uh, but he did say he's feeling better. And with Tampa Bay going into uh, the bye week, Chris Godwin's progression in the second half of the season to see if he looks healthier, to see if he looks more explosive. That's going to be something I'm going to have a close eye on uh, once Tampa Bay comes out of their bye. Uh, another thing is the you know, Buccaneers, I talked a couple weeks ago how all of a sudden they just couldn't stop the run anymore. They had a couple teams. Uh, Carolina was able to run all over them, Baltimore was able to run all over them. In this game, the Tampa Bay defense completely neutralized Kenneth Walker, one of the hottest runners in the league. He got nothing going on the ground in this game. That's a great sign for them. And, of course, I've talked about how Tampa Bay had been historically bad running the football uh, for the whole season up until this game. All of a sudden, Rashad White got off in this game, uh, had his first career 100-yard game on the ground. Great sign for the Buccaneers. And if they can get that, whether it's Leonard Fournette or Rashad White, Because it looks, it sounds like they might go to a hot hand approach, if not just name Rashad White the outright starter at the running back position. But if they can get that kind of production out of the running game and that kind of production out of their run defense, then all of a sudden this Buccaneers team, even with those questions on the interior of the offensive line, this Buccaneers team starts to look like the team we thought they would be. They set a tone quickly in this game defensively. They forced a quick three and out. That was finished by a Joe Tryon-Shoyinka sack. They finished the half out in emphatic fashion with a sack by Devin White. It just seemed like they were trying to send a message that this defense that had been underperforming for a lot of the year, all of a sudden looks back in form. And again, going into a bye week, the defense might be able to finally start figuring things out. Uh, on the Seattle side, uh, certainly a disappointing performance. This they, They've had a couple of these kind of disappointing performances. It hasn't happened all that often, but I immediately think back to uh, when they played in San Francisco, they had a similar type of game where they offensively just never got off the ground. Uh, this was not the Geno Smith we have seen for most of the year. This Geno Smith seemed to be a little more panicky, a little more uncomfortable in the pocket. And again, starting off the game under pressure, taking that try on Inker so sack early. Maybe that uh, threw him off for the rest of the game. But you saw him be skittish in the pocket. You saw him be loose with the football when he was trying to run with it. Uh, That led to a a Devin White strip. Uh, So just not the same Seahawks offensively that we had seen. Uh, It it goes back to the Seahawks seem to still have their identity of the last decade, really. And I know people are trying to make it seem like it's a brand new Seahawks, the team that we've never seen before. Uh, The names have changed, but it's still the same story. You shut down the run game. In this case, Kenneth Walker got shut down, and all of a sudden, Geno Smith looked less effective. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Can Geno continue this this miracle season? Because everybody's got him as a comeback player of the year. I don't, because I'm like, what did he come back from exactly? The bench. But uh, you know, everybody's got Geno Smith in that conversation. These are the kind of games where, you know, not everything is going perfectly offensively like it has for most of the season. These are the games you want to see Geno Smith kind of step up a little bit in. Uh, I'm willing to dismiss this one kind of as a blip on the radar. But again, it's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, so Seattle said heading into a bye week as well. So when they come out of that bye, do we get the Geno Smith that we've seen for most of 2022, which has certainly been one of the surprise stories of the year? We did not see that in this game. So we'll see if he can bounce back with a couple weeks to kind of get over this and get back on track.
0: Because Julius talked so long, I'm not going to say much about this game. Uh, he touched on all the points. No. um, Yeah, Geno Smith, uh, I heard one of the announcers say he looked like the Jets' Geno Smith, and I think that's a big smack in the face to Geno Smith because, um, one, he was a younger quarterback back then with a not a very good team, and, and he made a lot of – he tried to make the throws that worked in West Virginia, and that's not going to work in the pros. Um, this Geno Smith just looked like – I don't know if it's the travel. to. I don't want to blame traveling to other countries, and I don't want to blame. But we've just seen teams not look the same in the European games and and, and, and Thursday night games. So I think the NFL, they're not going to because of money, but they really need to look at, again, for player safety and for, and for just quality of their product. No, I, I would rather have seen this game in Tampa. I think the Seahawks would have had a better chance, chance at winning in Tampa than they did in Munich. Um, the field had really bad conditions. You see lots of dudes slipping and falling. Uh, again, the one play you talked about with Tom Brady, he slipped and fell on the, on the turf trying to plant, um, or the grass. You saw lots of guys doing that, trying to make cuts, trying to, trying to run. You saw five or six guys fall down without being touched because of the conditions in the stadium. Um, which, you know, were big issues when they first went to England. So we'll see if they have another Munich game, if that will get fixed or looked at. Um, but Fournette got hurt in this game, which is, which I'd be concerned about if I'm the Bucs. I know they have Rashad White, and he looked fine, you know, filling in for him. But can Rashad White handle every down back work like Fournette was doing for them? Um, Fournette was a safety valve for Tom Brady for many of these weeks. Um, he was catching, there was one week he caught 10, 10 passes. So um, that's something that I'd keep an eye on if I'm Tampa Bay. Um, I'm worried for Seattle just because the 49ers are coming. They're starting to get healthy. They won a game they probably shouldn't have won this week. And they're one game behind them now. And they're 3-0 and in the division. So, that's what I'm worried about for Seattle. They need to win games like this if they want to, you know, contend and have a chance at a wild card or even the division. Um... But the defense actually didn't play bad. They held Tampa Bay to 21 points. So it wasn't like the defense. The defense has really stepped up since the first, I'd say, three weeks of the season. The defense has really come around, especially with a, a lot of rookies, a lot of young guys for Seattle. Um, yeah, Tampa Bay really controlled the pace of this game. Like you said, they got an early three and out. Um, then they kind of just, before deciding to try and throw it to Tom Brady, they were really controlling the pace of this game. And then they had some. They had two really bad turnovers, That that one, and then Brady made a terrible pass right to a linebacker for an interception, um, trying to hit, I believe it was Mike Evans, across the middle and and just threw a really bad pick. So, you know, I'm still worried that Tom Brady doesn't look like Tom Brady to me. I know, I know they won this game, but it wasn't because of Tom Brady. It, Tom Brady didn't lead this team to a magnificent victory or anything. Um, like, people could say that he did against the Rams. This was more the defense and run game for Tampa Bay like it had been at the beginning of the season. Um Godwin looks healthy, so that's that's a, that's a promising sign for the Buccaneers because they're going to need Godwin and Evans down the stretch. Um looks like Tampa's going to win the division though easily and get into get into the playoffs and that's pretty much their end game though, right? Let's see what happens once we get into the playoffs. So that's what the Buccaneers want to do and the, the reports are that some of those offensive linemen could be getting healthy and coming back. So that could make a big difference for them down the stretch. So if I'm Tampa Bay, I'm not rushing anybody back because my division's so bad, and I will give them the extra two or three weeks of rest um, if they need it versus rushing anybody back from injury. All right, moving on to the game of the week. Uh, Minnesota Vikings at the Buffalo Bills, where Minnesota somehow, someway pulls out a 33-30 overtime victory over the Buffalo Bills. In a game that should have been over three or four times, the bill said, you know what? We're going to make this harder than we need it. And then they go down to tie it to get into overtime, and they said, you know what? No, we, we don't want this W. So Josh Howell's going to throw a pick. Um, Justin Jefferson probably had the catch of the decade. Uh, I don't remember when the OBJ one-handed catch was, but um, if no one saw this, which they should have by now, on 4th and 18, Kirk Cousins closes his eyes and does his best Taylor Heineke impression and throws it just up in the up for grabs to Justin Jefferson, which is a great idea. Justin Jefferson is one of the best receivers in the league. Just throw it up to your guy. I don't know what the Buffalo defender was doing, Mr. Lewis, but instead of just batting the ball down, he tries to go for an interception, which allows Justin Jefferson to grab the ball out of his hands with one hand which I still don't understand how he didn't hit the ground, how the ball didn't hit the ground. That is the most impressive part of the catch. The one-handed part was impressive, but the most impressive part to me is the fact that he came, he jumped full vertical, grabbed it with one hand, and then kept it from hitting the ground. Um, So that would have ended the game, but it didn't, because Justin Jefferson made, again, probably the catch of the decade. Um, And then Buffalo decides to stop them, On the goal line, so the game should have been over. And then Josh Allen fumbles for a touchdown to Minnesota. So now Buffalo has to go down and try to get points before the end of the game to go to overtime or to win. And they go to overtime and they end up losing in overtime because of an interception. Um, There's lots of things I want to blow the whistle on in this game. I just talked about a few of them. The quarterback sneak in the end zone with your quarterback who is injured is dumb to me blowing the whistle on that. Um, I would have been in shotgun and throwing it, or I would have ran with my running backs, which this is what I'm talking about. This is what I've been talking about all year. Buffalo doesn't trust their running game. In that situation, every team in the NFL is either running with their running back, or they're trying to throw it out of that position. You have Stephon Diggs. Do a quick slant. Do something. If Josh Allen is this great quarterback, why are you not trusting him to throw it out of the end zone? Even if he ran out the back of the zone, it's a safety. You still have the lead. The worst possible scenario happened in that situation. Um, I'm also blowing the whistle on Josh Allen again for trying to tackle someone on a pick and leading with your bad elbow while they're on the The ground. You don't need to touch this man. You just touch him with your hand. Just touch him. Tap his foot. Tap his helmet. He's down. You don't need to throw all your body weight with your bum UCL into the ground, and then you're going to lay on the ground for five minutes because you're hurting yourself. It doesn't make sense. It was just like when Tua decided to run head first after coming back from a nasty concussion. I blew the whistle on him. Protect yourself. These are literally plays you don't have to even do anything. It makes no sense. Um... Kirk Cousins going to the Minnesota side, again, didn't really look that good all game. I don't know why they had so many opportunities to win this game, but they did. Uh, I mean, I know he threw for three fifty seven, and I know he had the fourth down conversion on the amazing Justin Jefferson catch, but there were missed opportunities by him, um, which they could have won the game with. I mean, I do blame Dalvin Cook. Actually, they could have had a touchdown instead of getting stopped on the goal line. Dalvin Cook dropped a ball and hit him right in the hands, uh, coming out of the backfield with no one around him. Yep. Uh, it was it was a really bad drop, actually, for Dalvin Cook. That was a really, really bad drop. I can't blame Kirk on that one. Um, but this game was more about Buffalo blowing their opportunity to beat the Vikings, for me, more than the Vikings. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Vikings did what they needed to do to win the game, right? I can't take away from them that they won the game, but I feel like it was gifted to them by the Bills. And, and Josh Allen, I feel like, is not in the MVP race for me anymore. Uh, the last three weeks or two weeks has been, he's had eight interceptions and four in the red zone. Like, it's just plus the fumble to, for the go-ahead touchdown to the – like, there's just too many mistakes coming out of the quarterback position for, for him to be an MVP in my, in my opinion. Um, and I think every time people try to put someone above Patrick Mahomes – even on a bye week, Patrick Mahomes shows you why he is the best quarterback in the NFL. Like, I don't think he Patrick Mahomes makes those mistakes. You know, I just I just don't think he does uh, in in the in the stretch. So um, tough tough stretch of games here for for Allen. Hopefully, he can get his UCL you know healed up and and, and can look better. But again, the run game is going to be the Achilles heel of this team um, because. I don't know why you're running a quarterback sneak while you're in the end zone. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like I just I just don't I don't get it.
1: So at one point, this game looked like it was going to be a total blowout before it became arguably the game of the year. And you no, know, because there's this obsession with validating kirk cousins and i I just i don't know what that's about i don't know why everybody's so into what he's wearing or not wearing on team flights and what he's saying and not saying and hallways and all this other stuff but it's like it's forgotten that when this game was 27 to 10 and on the brink of becoming a signature blowout win for buffalo it was an 81 yard touchdown run that changed the complexion of this game it was Kirk cousins handing the ball off to dalvin cook for an 81 yard score that was your turning point like i said it was 27 to 10 before that touchdown look at what the final score was the turning point of the game was dalvin cook so again I, i'm not sure why people feel the need to give all the credit here to Kirk cousins but dalvin cook turned this game around and then as you said later in the game when the vikings really needed it a 4th and 18, Kirk Cousins, doing what he does best, blindly throw it to Justin Jefferson and let him make you look good. I mean, I guess you could say it's, it's, it's a smart play. It's a smart thing to do. Throw it to the guy who always makes you look good, no matter what kind of crap you throw out there. Cam Lewis, you got to knock that ball down, away, out of bounds, into the stands, do anything but what you did. The only reason that that ball didn't hit the ground, you say you didn't understand how it didn't hit the ground. It's amazing that the ball didn't. But that ball hits the ground if Cam Lewis doesn't try to intercept it. It took three hands to keep that ball off the ground. Two of those three hands were Cam Lewis. I mean, he should have gotten assist for making that catch of the decade happen. You got to be smarter in that situation. And, and Lewis even said it after the game himself. He talked about how he's not a selfish player, this and that. And I believe me. he's not a selfish player, but it was a selfish moment. That play doesn't happen if you don't go for that pick. And too many defensive backs do that. It's fourth down. Even if you do catch it, now in this situation, it might not have mattered too much, but even if you do catch it, you lose 25 yards of field position. Knock the ball down. Stop chasing stats it really came back to haunt him there but that's just that's an overall thing that you see a lot of defensive backs do in that situation getting to josh allen i talked about this last week you're seeing him get loose with the football and there's a part of me that wants to say well he, he had a sore elbow this and that I, I did not see any ill effects of the elbow in this game i don't know if other people did his passes look regular his phone motion looked regular Uh, The play calling certainly was the same as it always is. So I I can't bring myself to blame the elbow issue because it didn't seem to have much of an impact on the game. And it's continuing a trend that we've seen. For whatever reason, coming out of the bye week, Josh Allen's just been loose with the football. Uh, You alluded to it. In the last three games coming out the bye, six interceptions. That's more than he had before the bye. And they played six games before the bye. So now because of this poor stretch of football, guess who leads the league in interceptions now? Everybody's MVP favorite, including mine going into the season, Josh Allen. That's who leads the league in interceptions right now. It would be talked about a lot more if it was somebody else leading the league in interceptions, but it's Josh Allen that's leading the league in interceptions right now because of how poorly he's played these last few weeks. And it's not just that you're turning the ball over. They're crucial, crucial turnovers. Two interceptions, both in the end zone, both to a struggling Patrick Peterson. At this point of Patrick Peterson's career, he can't stay with anybody. He can't cover anybody. He can barely tackle. But the one thing Patrick Peterson can do is catch the football if you throw it directly to him. He's always had reliable hands. Even when you saw Patrick Peterson run the first interception out of the end zone, he just went down on his own. His legs aren't there anymore. And yet, Josh Allen is finding his favorite receiver, Patrick Peterson, in the end zone. When you need those scores, you can't give up these opportunities to put points on the board. That's at least six points you blew. Maybe more than that. And again, the other turnover, the fumble, that literally led directly to a Vikings touchdown. So every one of Josh Allen's turnovers had a direct impact on the scoreboard. Their turnovers at the absolute worst time. And that's really killing the Bills right now. The other thing that's hurting Buffalo, you know, as much as I talk about Josh Allen here, remember, the most important position in football, playmaking safety. These last two games that the Bills have played, remember, they were 6-1. and one. These last two games that they played against the Jets, lost, against the Vikings, lost. They've been without Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde those are two pro bowl caliber safeties you're missing both of them when you're missing two pro bowlers at the most important position in football the results aren't going to look the same they're not going to get Micah Hyde back they need to get at least Jordan Poyer back in a hurry for them to turn this around they need him back and you know even within that secondary somebody like Tredavious White they need him to round back in the form because You know, if not, these are the kind of games you can find yourself blowing when you should have put it away long ago. All right, congratulations to Kirk Cousins. Got his first 300-yard game of the season, and it actually came in a win. It's again an ugly win, a mistake kind of game from Kirk Cousins. A game that again probably should not have been won by Minnesota, but Buffalo or Josh Allen in particular gifted it to him. But if you're the Vikings, of course you'll take it. Of course you'll take being eight and one. Uh, and Minnesota's going to want to get back to the formula that got them to 8-1. It's nice that they won a game where Kirk Cousins throws the ball 50 times, but they know. They know that is not the formula moving forward. That's only a formula for when you're down 17 and you're desperate. But uh, moving forward, they need to get Kirk Cousins back down in that range he's been in that all year where he's throwing the ball 30, 35 times, rely on the run game, rely on the defense to continue to make plays like they did in this game. That's the formula that's going to continue to work for the Vikings. They face Dallas next week. Expect them to get back to the ground game against the defense that you can run on. are going to get into yet another wild, wild game. The Detroit Lions, yes, the Detroit Lions pull off a 31-30 win over the Chicago Bears. And even though Detroit won this game, I, I want to talk more about Chicago. Because to me, they're just more interesting. Justin Fields has really found his footing They are letting him work the way he wants to work. And the results have been good individually. I am concerned that there's too much on Justin Fields right now. Since week six, so we're going back five games. In the last five games, Justin Fields has 555 yards rushing. That leads the NFL since week six. I don't mean lead quarterbacks. When you look at the league leaders in rushing since week five, it's Justin Fields one, Derrick Henry two, Travis Etienne Jr. three. That is how much Justin Fields is running the ball. Now, yes, that stat's a little off because of Henry's bye week mixed in during that time span, so I will acknowledge that. But even considering that, for a quarterback to lead the league in rushing over a a five-week span is insane. No quarterback in history. Not Lamar Jackson, not Michael Vick, not whoever you can think of. No quarterback in history had run for 500 yards over any five-game span ever. So right now, Justin Fields has got the whole thing on his shoulders. He had a touchdown run in this game where he literally, I'm not even exaggerating, literally knocked Deshaun Elliott out in the end zone. His other touchdown run, he ran away from Jeff Okuda. Go go back and look at Jeff Okuda's 40 times. So he's running with speed. He's running with power. He's doing it all on a team that just doesn't have enough around him offensively. Even when the passing game works, which is rare, even now, and, and now people are finally acknowledging that Justin Fields is a good quarterback. It doesn't matter that he went to Ohio State. Even with that, Justin Fields has not completed 20 passes in a game this season. So they're still nothing of a threat of a passing game in this offense and even when the passing game works in quotations it's only successful when fields presents himself as a threat to run the ball it's never Fields just dropping back and making the an easy throw it's constantly Fields threatening the line of scrimmage with the threat to run and then opening up receivers from there that's how he got cole commit open on that long touchdown pass they were scared of him running they left coverage and that's what got commit open. These, these receivers can't get separation on their own. So it's just, just way too much on the shoulders of Justin Fields right now. And because there's so much, he's trying too hard to make plays at times. And that leads to the costly pick 60 through the Jeff Okuda. That's him trying to make a play when a play wasn't there, but he knows he can't just run a regular offense with this supporting cast and get anything going. So, Know there's nothing you can do about it this year, and that includes with Chase Claypool. Claypool's cool, he's he's nice, he's solid. When I I think about the top 30 or so receivers in the NFL, he doesn't crack the list. So you still need more help at the position, and it just shows how desperate Chicago was to give up a second-round pick to get a guy who's been a nice complimentary receiver so far in his career. But that that's where the Bears are at right now. So the Bears have got to find a way the same way. The Dolphins found a way to get a star receiver the same way the Eagles found a way to get a star receiver. The Bears are going to have to find a way to make that type of moves, because right now, again, it's just too difficult on offense uh, with what Justin Fields has to do. And it's going to get even worse now that Khalil Herbert is hurt. He got a hip injury in this game. And I've talked about how even though he's not the starter, Khalil Herbert's the best running back on this team. Now you lose another explosive player on on offense in that backfield now you're down to pretty much just david montgomery who again i like montgomery He's a strong tough runner but not explosive so offense is going to be even harder to come by with chicago and even more is going to be placed on the shoulders of justin fields it's going to be tough came down largely to a missed extra point and i'm blowing the whistle on Cairo santos why do kickers feel the need to kick these extra points from angles They they literally let you put the ball where you want it. Why not in the middle of the field? You're a professional kicker. You ought to be able to kick the ball straight. And if you watch this game, there was a lot of wind going on in this game. So when you look at that Santos missed extra point, he's kicking from an angle, which he shouldn't be doing. He tries to compensate for the wind, but the wind wasn't blowing on that extra point, so he shanked it really bad. You wouldn't have to worry about that if you just lined the ball up in the middle of the field. Kick the ball from the middle. If, I, if I'm a coach, once you miss one extra point from your stupid hash mark, I'm never letting you do that again. I just don't understand. Kick the ball straight from the middle of the field. Just Stop making stuff difficult. Uh, Cole Komet, five touchdowns in his last three games. He's starting to become the trusted guy for fields. Again, not a guy necessarily that gets separation, but a guy that feels trust, a guy that has reliable hands. Uh, Cole Komet had two touchdowns in his previous 40 games. So three of the last five games, two in the previous forty. Excuse me, five in the last three games. Five touchdowns for Cole Comet in the last three games, two in the previous forty. So coming around there. Uh to get to the Lions just a little bit, I'm not going to say too much about them. Got to leave something for Patrick this time. But I will say Aiden Hutchinson was was big in this game, all over the place. He led the team in solo tackles, difficult to do from the defensive line position. Uh, had a sack in this game, not easy to sack Justin Fields. And he had one goal line tackle where it looked like David Montgomery had a walk in touchdown. Hutchinson flew in from the side, grabbed Montgomery, and just slung him back away from the line of scrimmage to the ground. Uh, Hutchinson was all over the place in this game. He, he definitely looked like a number two overall pick kind of player. So I got to give him his credit. And uh, last but not least, uh, shout out to Dan Campbell, our buddy. First career road victory for Dan Campbell. He's on the board, biting knees and doing all that stuff. It's starting to work in Detroit, at least for a day.
0: Yeah, I wasn't that high on Aiden Hutchinson coming out in the draft. Um, and he has proven me wrong very quickly. Uh the last three games, he has been just lights out balling. Um, he was doing well at the beginning of the season two, but it looks like he stepped up to already be the leader of that defense. And I mean, that's not hard to do. The Detroit defense is not very good. Um, but he is just making plays on all levels, including the in the Packers game, the, the goal line interception on Aaron Rodgers, which was again for a defensive end not easy to do. Just like Julius talked about leading your team and solo tackles not easy to do. Uh, he sacked Justin Fields, and 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 the David Montgomery play was ridiculous. Um, again, some of these things that people won't be able to see in the box score, but like if you're watching the game and you watch him make that goal line stuff, it's just. It's impressive. Um, he looks like the real deal for sure, and so Detroit definitely got a nice steal with the Jags uh, passing on him. So I know Detroit's happy right now because they need all the help on defense as they can get. So they Akuda made a play, as Joyce as talked about, and, and he's one of their high draft picks from two years ago, and then you got Hutchinson making plays. So they're moving in the right direction on defense, but two out of 11 is not going to get it done. Um, somehow Detroit has won two games in a row, it was right after we wrote the Lions off and said "f you, Dan Campbell," so that you know that's how that's how the world goes, I guess. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with Amon Ra St. Brown coming back. Uh, once they got their star receiver back, this offense has looked a hell of a lot different than when he was out. Um, And that just goes to show you that star players can be as important as they are in basketball. No, but they are important in the NFL, and they can make a big difference. Um, Moving over to the Chicago side, I'm blowing the whistle because I'm blowing the whistle for the entire NFL, and I'm blowing the whistle on all the kickers in the NFL. (laughs) I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the missed extra points. At this rate, I hope they go for two every single time. I don't remember how many games I was watching this week, but I'm sure there was at least four or five missed extra points. Again, as I always say, if it's within forty and closer, it should you should be hundred percent accurate. Obviously, unless the field conditions don't, you know, I'm not, I'm talking about if there's thirty mile per hour wind, I'm going to give you a pass. If it's a bad snap, I'm going to give you a pass. You know, I'm I'm not talking about those plays. I'm talking about snaps fine. Your run-up's fine. Everything's fine. And then you shank it to the left. Or you hit the pole. Like, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I'm not a kicker. And I'm not sitting here saying that I can make 35-yard field goals. I'm also not getting paid hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to do it, though. And I'm not sitting there practicing it every day, every week. So, um, I just don't understand why kickers are missing so many extra points and so many field goals. But the extra points get on my nerves the most. You know... Field goals are okay. Like I said, if it's 40 and longer, I can give you a little bit of leeway. But if it's 40 and closer and you guys are shanking and just missing, like, what are we doing here? Um, I felt like Chicago gifted this one to Detroit, man. I really do. Uh, Fields made some really bad decisions down the stretch. Um, you kind of talked about that already, but I agree with you. I think he just feels like he has to make something happen for this team to win, which is pretty much the case. Um, he is fast, like he 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 has wheels on. It. I don't think he's Lamar Jackson fast, but he is he is close. Um, he, the the way he just ran away from the entire Detroit defense on that one is just impressive. Um, I do want to see what I know. A lot of people want them to draft a wide receiver with their first pick next year. I mean, obviously we're gonna have to see how the draft plays out and what position they end up getting, but. If they're in line to get an offensive lineman, a good offensive lineman, I'm going with that because this is probably the worst offensive line I've ever seen in the NFL. It is a really bad unit. Um, again, Detroit doesn't have that great of a defense, and they were getting in the backfield and making this man scramble and run, and he got sacked a couple times, which, again, you don't – I mean, it's I just I, – I feel bad for him. It, it, it almost reminds me of – I don't know if any offensive line will ever be as bad as the expansion Texans offensive line was, but it reminds me a lot of that team. Like, that offensive line was real bad. This offensive line is real bad. And then, you know, they definitely do need to get another playmaker for this team, though. I agree with you. They do need a receiver. But if I was this organization, I don't think I'm really competing anyway right away, but you need offensive line. I don't care if that's free agency, I, if they're in the draft. But that's what I'm saying. Like once we get to draft time and free agency time, like off season free agency, um, I hope they look at offensive line and wide receiver. Those are their two biggest needs, you know. Right now, moving on to a snooze fest. We're talking about Tennessee and Denver. Uh, Denver was in Tennessee, and the game Tennessee won seventeen to ten, um, in a game that had almost no offensive of output whatsoever um Derrick Henry was held to like 50 yards somehow a Titans receiver went for over 100 yards I still don't understand how this happened uh yeah. but um you know I Russell wasn't got paid a lot of money and he needs to win games like this uh he only the Denver offense only put up 10 points again um you know I just don't have any more Leeway for Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson at this point in the season. Uh, this was an easily easily winnable game for for the Denver Broncos. I, I've said this all year. I feel like I said every time we get on this podcast. I feel bad for the defense. They held a team under twenty points again. Um, even with not having Chubb on their team anymore, you lose your best pass rusher, and you lost Randy Gregory to injury, and so your two best pass rushers are out, and you're still holding teams under twenty points. So. Um, at this point, for me, it's all falling on the offense, and I understand you lost Javante Williams, and that's a huge loss to this team and what they wanted to do and their identity. But that's why someone gets paid the money that Russell Wilson got paid. You need to pick the team up. You need to be able to score 17 points. You need to be able to score 20 points. You know, we talk about it all the time, and I talked about it uh, in a game that we'll get to later. If you score over 20, if you score 28 points, that's enough. That's enough to win a game in the NFL. 10 points is not going to win many games in the NFL. So the fact that it was a 17-10 game where you held Derrick Henry in check, the Titans offense really didn't do much. It's, you know, I mean, I'm happy because my rookie from UMD, Chig, caught a 41-yard catch that pretty much sealed the game. Uh, But, you know, I just don't. I don't understand what's happening in Denver. It's 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 in, it's increasingly frustrating to watch that football there. I feel like they have weapons. And then you got Jerry Judy just falling down off a non-contact injury. Uh, he came back in the game, though. You got Russell still forcing it to Cortland Sutton like he's DK Metcalf. I just don't understand what's happening mm-hmm. in Denver. It's, it's just it's just infuriating it's just infuriating football to watch. Like, I don't know. Maybe I was maybe I was tricked for ten plus years of Russell Wilson in Seattle and him. Making the right calls and plays and 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 passing accuracy and all that stuff, but like he just, I don't know what's going on, man. He just looks. I don't know if it's Hackett. I don't. I don't know what it is, but I just can't give passes anymore. It's it's ten points is is terrible, and I don't know if it's the AFC South because they were shitty against the Colts too, so I have no idea what's going on with that team. But you got you got to win games like this. It was a very easily easy 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 win for them, and and they blew it. Um Get on to Tennessee. They they keep finding ways to win. I think they're like the worst six and three, six and whatever their record is, t- six and four. Uh, I don't think they had I'm their six and three. Six and three. I, six and three. Yeah, they had their bye week, right, right? Yeah, so six and three. Um, you know, I I just I don't even know how they're six and three. I don't comprehend how Tennessee six and three. Obviously, I understand they've won six games, uh, but you know, I don't get it. I their team isn't good. Like they're gonna go into the playoffs and get stomped out by somebody in the AFC. Um, but it looks like they're gonna run away with their division. Uh, in another weak, crappy division, they have six wins, which is pretty much going to seal that division up for them. Um, yeah, I this game again. I have more to say about the Broncos. I just again, I can't. Yeah, I'm I'm done. I'm done with that whole system. I I normally don't want to fire first year coaches and put them on a hot seat, but the disaster that has been the Broncos this year. It just feels like more of the same from that organization and John Elway swinging and missing on a quarterback once again. I I don't know if it's a John Elway curse, but every quarterback that he's endorsed or brought in, even Peyton Manning looked terrible in Denver. Peyton had a great year, right? He had his great – the first season he had was great, but the Super Bowl, the time they won the Super Bowl, it wasn't because of Peyton Manning, and we can all say that. He had worse statistical season than Brock Osweiler that year. So let's not sit there and act like Peyton threw him to the Super Bowl. No, that defense carried him that year, so – I think John Owen might literally be cursed
1: up there in Denver. First of all, all Ryan Tannehill does is win lately, and 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 I, and I just I just want to understand this because we have a pretty large sample size now. In his last forty starts, y'all, forty starts. Now keep in mind, the NFL season is only seventeen games. In his last forty starts, Ryan Tannehill is twenty-eight and twelve. That is a 70-win percentage. Your favorite quarterback ain't doing that. Unless it's Mahomes or somebody. And so my thing is this. Everybody knows that the Titans aren't winning because of Ryan Tannehill. But when it comes to Kirk Cousins or Taylor Heineke or one of these other guys that everybody wants to hype up so bad, everybody looks past the individual performance. And just looks at, oh, he just wins, he just wins. Jimmy Garoppolo as well can go into that category. Oh, he just wins, he just wins. Why doesn't Ryan Tannehill get that love? Yeah, he's just handing the ball off and winning game 17 to 10. But even in a game where Derrick Henry got shut down, as Patrick just alluded to, Tannehill found a way to win. Ain't that what y'all want? Ain't that what y'all all y'all asked for from Kirk Cousins? Ain't that all y'all asked for from Taylor Heineke? How come the same energy isn't to Ryan Tannehill? What what's what's up with these feelings being involved? What's up with the double standards? I'm I'm just asking the question. Now, one thing I've never thought I'd say this year is this game was the Nick Westbrook-Akine show. I'll probably never say that again either. But for one day, we might not talk about Nick Westbrook-Akine ever again on this podcast, but for one day, he had a shining moment, 119 yards and two touchdowns. Stepping up, because somebody had to step up with Derrick Henry being bottled up and the defense being that committed to stopping him, and it ended up being him. So, good on you. I do want to give the Titans defense credit for this. The Titans had six sacks in this game. Now, we talked, going back to the season preview, before the season started, we talked about how this defense was going to be hurting because of the loss Of Harold Landry the third before the season started so in this game you're without Harold Landry obviously you're without Jeffrey Simmons who's probably your best overall defensive player you're without Bud Dupree who's your best pass rusher without Landry you're without Zach Cunningham middle linebacker with plenty of range you're without Amani Hooker playing the most important football like you're without all these guys and you still come up with six sacks, and you still hold... Now, again, this doesn't look like an NFL offense, but you still hold them to 10 with a bunch of backups. And it's not just this game. The Titans right now are fourth in the league in sacks. That's shocking to me, considering who they're missing. So I got to give Tennessee credit for that. Shout out to the former Raider, Nico Autry, who leads the Titans in sacks. It, it, it's amazing how many players... Around the league are productive players that are ex-Raiders while the Raiders sit at two and seven. I don't want to get on that soapbox right now, but I'm just saying, how does such a bad team always have good players going all over the place to every other team in the league? Now let's get into the Denver Broncos, because let's that, that's, that's be honest. Y'all don't want to talk about the Titans. I talked about the Titans just now more than you would ever want to hear about them. Patrick talked about it. This is the fourth time this year that the Broncos have lost a game in which the opponent scored fewer than 20 points. In today's NFL, where the league wants 41 to 38 type games, holding a team to 20 or under 20 is a huge deal. You ought to be able to win, maybe not all of them, maybe there's a game where there's a defensive matchup, but you ought to be able to win about 75% of the time when you hold the other team under 20 points. And the fact that the Broncos can't do that or come particularly close to doing that is problematic. Now, everything is being put on the shoulders of Russell Wilson, as far as all the blame goes. And again, this is where I keep talking about the emotions and the different standards and everything else. You know who the most sacked quarterback is this year? And, and Patrick just talked about David Carr, the most sacked quarterback we've ever seen. Well, most sacked quarterback this year is Russell Wilson. The Broncos have the offensive line that y'all think Cincinnati has. This offensive line stinks when it's fully healthy. Now, this offensive line that stinks when it's fully healthy is missing Garrett Bowles, missing Billy Turner. That's both starting tackles. Missing Lloyd Cushenberry, that's their starting center. Graham Glasgow got injured. He's their backup center. They're playing with bums, backups, scrubs on the offensive line. Nobody talks about that because they don't like Russell Wilson. If Joe Burrow was under these circumstances where he was missing both tackles, missing starting center, missing backup center, we'd be hearing all kinds of excuses for Joe Burrow. You don't get it for Russell Wilson because everybody loves Joe Burrow and his cigars and everything else and his swag and all that, and everybody hates Russell Wilson because he's too corny. Like, like, that, like, that's what it comes down to. But Russell Wilson is the most sacked quarterback in football in an offense where they don't even throw the ball that much. Now, is that to say Wilson is blameless? No. We've seen a couple times now, because we saw it, Patrick brought up the Colts game. So we've seen it a couple of times against the AFC South. where with the game on the line, you finish the game with an interception. Throwing the ball to the right team helps. We keep talking about this this Cortland Sutton thing. It, it's weird. Cortland Sutton is never open. <laughs> and it's not to say that he can't make a contested catch. But this, this notion that you got to throw him six or seven jump balls a game, why? He's not coming down with half of them. I mean, I, I can see if you were throwing it to a guy. Because I always say DeAndre Hopkins is not a guy most of the time that gets a whole lot of separation. But you know when you throw it up to Hopkins... He's gonna catch the ball 70% of the time, somehow, some way. We've seen him literally catch the ball on the ground by his back. I mean, we've seen Hopkins do some crazy things. Courtland Sutton's not that guy. So stop trying to make him that guy. Hackett is at fault to some degree, but I talked about it before and I'll say it again. Russell Wilson, you're the guy getting paid $245 million. At some point, you got to override the coach. We've seen too many other quarterbacks, and I've talked about this before. We've seen too many other quarterbacks. Look at the coach and say, you know what? I got this. You know what? I'm changing the play. You know what? I'll call the timeout since you don't know when to do it. Russell Wilson just sits back like he's a rookie, like like he has no say in the matter. Take control. For for the $245 million contract, they can't do anything to you if you change the play at the line of scrimmage. Or if you call a timeout because you don't like the call against whatever coverage you're seeing. But Russell Wilson is just, just... doing what what he's being told, like a robot. It's it's, it's ridiculous. And the last thing about the Broncos, on top of being the team that gives up the most sacks, they are also the most penalized team in football. This team sucks. And when you talk about what has gone wrong with the Broncos' season, it's, it's a combination of all of this. If I knew Javante Williams and literally more than half of their offensive line would get hurt, and they played play this undisciplined, I wouldn't have picked them to make the playoffs. There's a lot wrong with the Denver Broncos outside of Russell Wilson, and that's not to say none of this is Wilson's fault. Again, Wilson is not doing things we saw him do in the past. Russell Wilson is not running. He's not moving around in the pocket. He's not doing any of that stuff. It's like he's aged 10 years overnight. When you see him try to run, he just gets sacked by the first guy i didn't make anybody miss anymore he used to be able to stiff arm guys and make plays on the run that's what he was known for in Seattle. broken plays it wasn't necessarily just dropping back and you know beating guys on traditional all straight from the pocket plays no most of his highlights involve some type of running around some type of improvising there's none of that going on right now so this, some of this is on russell wilson but it's just too easy to say all of it's on Russell Wilson because I don't like him. When you see this much of a flawed team on offense, like I said, with Jerry Judy injured now, now you're even more flawed on offense. So there's a lot wrong with this Broncos offense. Some of it's Russell Wilson, a lot of it's not. All right, so just to correct myself, because I don't, I don't mind admitting when I say something wrong, I don't want to be putting misinformation out on this platform. I'll leave that to other platforms. Russell Wilson is actually the third most sacked quarterback in the league. He's played fewer games than the other guys that's been sacked more, but that's neither here nor there. Just want to clarify, he's been sacked a lot this year, but shockingly, Justin Fields, number one, Patrick talked about that offensive line and how much of a mess that is. Again, you don't hear about that offensive line as much as you hear about crime since that. Anyway, moving on to Kansas City versus Jacksonville. This game, even though the score was respectable, this game pretty much went as expected. The Kansas City Chiefs with a 27 to 17 victory over the Jaguars. Uh, this is just another one of those games where, you know, you don't want to pull too much from this, but you know, like you said, another one of those games where even though it's against an inferior opponent, Patrick Mahomes just continues to show you that there's just a gap between him and everybody else. And it's not to say that, that it's an ocean between him and everybody else, but he's it's, it's just on a different level. And, where a lot of offenses would struggle if you took their top receiver away. Kansas City just finds ways to get it done with seemingly whoever. So Juju Smith-Schuster, he came into this game hot over his last couple games. He gets knocked out on a hit by Andre Sisco. Clean hit, by the way. And it's no problem. Patrick Mahomes, four touchdowns, four different receivers. Find everybody. It, it, it doesn't have to be one guy. And that's part of what makes this offense a little more dangerous in a way. This offense might not be as explosive as it was without Tyreek Hill, but I've talked about this for years with Tom Brady. An offense with one guy who's that guy and nobody else is not a dangerous offense. If, if you're going up against the Lions back in the day, if it's Calvin Johnson and a bunch of nothing, th- nobody cares. We just put everybody on Calvin Johnson. The rest of these guys ain't going to beat us. But when you have... A collection of guys who are just pretty good, as long as they're pretty good. You can't have a bunch of bums, and there are some teams out there that are rolling all bums out at receiver. As long as you have some guys that are pretty good, now you you can't lock in on one guy. Now you have a play where Kadarius Tony is literally the only guy on the right side of the field because you don't know where that football is going. Now, granted, you shouldn't lose a guy that badly. You shouldn't lose a guy to the point where he can hop on one leg. 10 yards into the end zone but it just goes to show you don't know where the ball is going in kansas city you just know everybody's alive everybody's a threat with patrick mahomes in this offense where you're not just locked in on travis kelsey and tyreek hill now it's it's mainly kelsey as it should be but you're still tony here you're still valdez scantling there noah gray catches a touchdown in this game nicole hardman stays involved when when he's available and playing obviously in this, this game, but it's everywhere. It's Jarek McKinnon coming out of the backfield, having an impact in the passing game. So you just, you can't really guard this offense right now. And so this offense is scoring at the same rate. It scored at last year without cyber kill. So again, you don't want to take too much out of this game because it is Jacksonville and you expect the chiefs to do what they did to Jacksonville in this game at home. But yeah, Mahomes is, is continuing to do his thing. That said, I do have to blow the whistle on Patrick Mahomes. Patrick, two guys for balls. Patrick, said this about Josh Allen, that he, you need to get out the way as the quarterback when there's a turnover. He had a, game, he had a play in this game where Isaiah Pacheco fumbled. Devin Lloyd, my guy, recovers it. He's running the other way. And who dives in the way to try to make a tackle? Mahomes. Why? Get out of the way. okay if Devin Lloyd runs that football back for a touchdown guess what the Chiefs probably still won't win the game if Patrick Mahomes gets hurt trying to tackle Devin Lloyd the Chiefs season is over get out of the way (laughs) I found the Chiefs running back situation interesting in this game all the running work went to Isaiah Pacheco, even after the fumble. And usually when a rookie fumbles, certainly when they fumble in the red zone, they get pulled. Pacheco stayed in. Jerick McKinnon got all the passing work. What happened to Clyde Edwards-Deeflin? Now, he's never been the guy to get 20, 25 touches on a regular basis, but he's a, not a part of this offense at all, in an offense that has involved everybody else. Edward Lair, who was at least getting goal line work to start the season, that's why he has so many touchdowns for as as few uh, touches as he has, but he is not involved at all right now. That's just shocking to see uh, from a former first-round pick. Now, Ronald Jones was phased out of this offense before the season even started, and now it seems like Clyde Edward DeLair has joined Ronald Jones as running backs on ice with this roster. That's just a surprising development for me to see. Going over to the Jacksonville side, I do like the fact that they started this game with an onside kick. You know, if you're being honest with yourself going into this game, we're probably going to get our behinds kick. Let's try some crazy stuff. But they got the onside kick, and that, that, that continues a trend with Kansas City special teams. If you, if you ask me what the concerns are for Kansas City, that's one of them, special teams. We've seen this team fumble, returns. Sky Moore has had issues fumbling. We see this situation... We've seen them miss kicks. There's concerns with the Chiefs' special teams, and Jacksonville was able to exploit it at the beginning of the game. I didn't get them much, but hey, I like the fact that they went for it. Uh, the other thing concerning in this game for Kansas City, Christian Kirk dominated his matchup against Legerea Sneak. I mean, destroyed him all, all game long. And it's just a reminder for me that even though he's a rookie, Trent McDuffie, who's been injured for half the season, just got back a couple weeks, couple weeks ago. They're going to need Trent McDuffie, who's a guy I really liked in this draft, to be their number one corner. Because if it's luxurious need, if you get destroyed like that by Christian Kirk, guess what? Christian Kirk's solid. There's going to be better receivers that you go up against than him when you start going into the postseason. And you can't have your number one alleged corner get burned like that. So Trent McDuffie is going to have to grow up in a hurry this year. Um, last thing I was talking about with Jacksonville, uh, Riley Patterson missed a couple kicks in this game. You know, Patrick's favorite topic. One is a 50-plus yard miss, so I'll, I'll give him grace for that. But the other one happened. There was a kickoff at the end of the first half. Kansas City fumbles the kickoff because Chiefs special teams. So you have an opportunity to go in the half with a 20-10 to 10 game as opposed to a 20-7 to 7 game because they just gifted you three points. Riley Patterson misses that kick in the half. That's, that's the little bit of momentum Jacksonville could have had going into halftime, and, and you miss it. And that, I talk about this all the time. Those are the kind of missed opportunities that happen to bad teams. You got an opportunity to cut the lead from 13 to 10. Might not sound like a big deal, but it is, especially when you're an underdog. You got to make that kick, Riley Patterson. You got to help your team stay in this game, and you blew it. So just had to throw that out there. Kicking matters or it doesn't.
0: Well, Julius, I'm glad you talked about the Chiefs' secondary because I've been talking about them before the season, all season long. Uh, again, even, th- even though they're winning games, people, people, winning cures everything in normal spectators and even people who look at the game a little bit more because I hear that some of the dumbest comments just because a team won. And I just want to let people know, I'm not up here to hate on anyone. I don't hate any team in the NFL. I may, I, I may hate, I don't, I, don't, I don't hate anything in the NFL. I may dislike players. I may dislike certain teams. But I'm not here to hate on anybody. I am concerned, just like I'm, I'm not hating on Buffalo, I'm concerned about their run game. And I, it's been proven why I'm concerned about it. Just like with Kansas City, I'm concerned about their secondary. Their front seven has played really well this year and has made their secondary look a little bit better because if you can get pressure on a quarterback, your secondary looks better because they don't have to cover for as long. Christian Kirk went off in this game, as Joyce already alluded to. And again, most people thought he wasn't worth his contract. He's been playing... Pretty well so far this season, so I feel like he's kind of putting that to bed. But mm-hmm. he's not—he's not Justin Jefferson.
1: Mm-mm.
0: He's not Amon Rossain Brown. Oh. he's not Devonte Adams. He's not even DeAndre Hopkins, CD Lamb, any of those guys. I would have—I mm. would have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin ahead of him. I'd have Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel ahead of him. You know, those are just again, I—I just named ten to twelve guys off the top of my head. So I'm just a little concerned that, again, Kansas City is going to make the playoffs. They have the best quarterback in the NFL. I'm with you. D- just get out of the way. If you get hurt doing something dumb, Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs' season's over. I think Chad Henney is still their backup. He ain't winning no games. Come on. So... Um, but once you get into the playoffs, man, the ultimate goal for these teams, when I say I'm concerned about something, like the Bills, like the Chiefs, their ultimate goal is Super Bowl. They, they don't care about winning the division anymore. The Chiefs done it like six years in a row. They're not concerned about that. They're not concerned about being the number one seed. What they're concerned about is getting to the Super Bowl and winning it. That secondary could stop them from doing that. Why? Because when you get into the playoffs, say Jamar Chase comes back if the Bengals make the playoffs. So now you've got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. If y'all can't put pressure on Joe Burrow, that secondary is going to get eaten up by those, by those guys, or should. Right? That's just one team in the same. If the Chargers receiving room gets healthy, how is Mike Williams on track to get back before Keenan Allen? Come on. What is going on over there? Anyway, if the Chargers receiving room gets healthy, you want to tell me that Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Gerald Everett, Austin Eckler isn't going to be an issue for that secondary? So again, it's more about the future and then the Bills. Obviously, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, you know, and Gabe Davis torched them last year. When they had better players back there. So that's my concern for the Chiefs moving forward. Uh Patrick Mahomes, just make better decisions with your body. You can't get hurt, or the season's over. Um, in the secondary. That's just been my biggest critique of the Chiefs all year. Um <clears throat> from a fantasy perspective, I have uh Edward Siller on a lot of my teams and kind of got him late in the in the in drafts, and I thought he was like a sleeper steel pick. And at the beginning of the year, I was getting a lot of points off the touchdowns and stuff. What happened? I haven't seen anything in the in the media about him and Andy Reid having a fallen out. I <coughs> he was a first round pick. I don't understand how a sixth round pick who fumbled in the red zone <laughs> conti- continues to take his job. It's not even like I know they like Pacheco and I know that they 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 like his his um athletic ability and his and his potential. He hasn't shown me anything that he's way better. Then Edward, Edwards, Healer. I, I just don't, am I missing something? I don't understand what happened in that running back room that Pacheco's now the man. Like, I just don't, he hasn't shown me anything that he's definitely the best running back there. So that's that's just really confusing. Um, I'm upset as a Giants fan about Tony now looking like he's healthy and catching a touchdown. Because where was that when you were in New York? You want to know where it was? Nowhere, because you're always <laughs> injured. That's Ooh. where it was. So I'm upset about that. Um, but no, good, good for him being on the field and, and actually being able to do something and being healthy for once. Um, and on to Jacksonville, you know, I, I feel like with this team, it's always, they played hard, but they, they lost, right? Like, I feel like we've said this all year at the beginning of the season, they were like two and two and we were like, oh man, could they be turning the corner? Cause they beat the Colts. They shut them out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even, it was a beat down. Um, yep. They played the Commanders real hard week one, which is the a game they could have won. Um, you know, Then they played the Eagles hard. And so they're like two and two. We're like, oh, man, this they're three and seven. So same old Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence has not flipped that corner for me. Uh, again, the Urban Meyer rookie season is kind of a wash for me at this point. But it is his second year. He's He got to play all of last year, so he's still got the reps. He's still got to see you know NFL defenses. Um, I just I'm not seeing that can't miss prospect number one overall super prospect like even Andrew Luck at least showed you why he was taken number one and was hyped up for all those years like Andrew Luck was a beast while he was in the NFL his last five years he actually has more touchdown passes than Mahomes has in his last five years so I mean like Andrew Luck was a baller. He has nothing to show for. He didn't win. A, he didn't win a Super Bowl. He didn't. But I mean, <coughs> at least he showed you why he was the number one overall pick. I'm just not seeing it from Lawrence yet. Like I said, I'm not going to blow the whistle or or shut him down yet. But again, if by next year, halfway through the season, he's just, it just doesn't turn the corner, I, I think it may be time for Jacksonville to start looking at other options at quarterback, aka in the draft in like a year or two. Um, not this year coming up, obviously. Maybe if, if they feel that way about him. But I, I just haven't seen anything that excites me about the future for them. Like Travis Etienne shows me why he was drafted in the first round, right? They have made him the main back, and he's proven why he's the main back now. Um, but I just I haven't seen just that pop
1: moment from Trevor Lawrence yet. All right. So the next game we'll get into, the Miami Dolphins do what we all expect them to do against the Cleveland Browns, a 39-17 win. The Browns actually got off to a promising start in this game. Uh, Opening kickoff, Jerome Ford, who's a rookie, fresh off the injured reserve. They're glad to have him back on special teams. He takes the opening kickoff and gets to about midfield. And you're thinking, okay, maybe they'll do something. Uh, Then they come right out the gate, play action, deep pass to Donovan Peoples-Jones. All right, we got something going. That sets up a short touchdown. And you're thinking, wait a minute, okay, the Browns up 7-0. Let's see what they can do. Miami comes back and answers that touchdown, but you're like, okay, 7-7. Seven, seven, we're, we're, we're still in good shape. We, let, let's see what Cleveland can do here. And Nick Chubb on with the ball. And it's, it's uncharacteristic. First fumble of the season for Nick Chubb. And you know, because of that, you gotta extend him some some grace. And certainly the way he's played this year, you gotta extend him some grace. He scored in this game. It's the seventh time this year out of nine games where he scored at least one touchdown. So Nick Chubb is truly the engine of this offense. So you can't fault him too much for a fumble. But uh, this fumble was costly. It's the kind of mistake you can't have when you're going on the road trying to pull off an upset against a team that's clearly better than you are. And for me, that marked the turning point in the game. After that Nick Chubb fumble, the rest of the way, you're talking about a 32-10 to 10 score. Uh, so that that's tough. But again, bad teams find ways to lose. And bad teams struggle to overcome that fatal mistake. And you saw that with Cleveland. And you're, you're seeing a team that that's starting to circle the drain a bit, starting to get to that point we talked about where it's not even going to matter uh, if and when Deshaun Watson gets back, if they keep playing like this. It's looking bad for the Browns. They thought it would look bad for the Browns. Looked all right for the Browns early in the season. Like we said with Jacksonville earlier, looked good for them early in the season. But... You're starting to see the true colors of these teams come out, and this is why you can't get too excited too early. This is Kobe Brissett, another one of those quarterbacks I've talked about where, again, as a backup quarterback, it's nice that you can fill in two, three, four games and play some decent football. The more you have to play, the more we start to understand, even if you're a high end backup, and Brissett is, but we see why you're a backup quarterback when you have games like this. Uh, as for the Dolphins, All year long, we've talked about the duo of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. They did not go off in this game. And yet the Dolphins still almost put up 40 points. Even if it is against the Browns, I'm encouraged to step up. Trust in Alec Ingold, of all people, to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield and make a play. Trust in Trent Sherfield to go beat his man one-on-one and make a play. It's already bad enough that you can't lock in on Hill or Waddle because of the presence of the other one. But if these other guys start to get involved in the passing game, now you have, really have no chance to stop this offense. They also established the run in this game. It's interesting to me that Jeff Wilson has come over. So you have two running backs who both played under Mike McDaniel over in San Francisco. Raheem Oster's been the one that's been there all year. Jeff Wilson Jr. is the new acquisition. And it looks like Wilson has already taken his backfield over. He had a very impressive game. He comes out, he had twice as many carries in his game as Raheem Mostert. I was expecting more of a 50-50 split, but it was more of a two-thirds kind of split in favor of Wilson, and Wilson uh, proved why he should be getting that work. Now, granted, both running backs averaged at least seven yards a carry. So, again, when you've got Hill on one side, Wall on the other side, and your running backs are that efficient in seven yards a carry, There's no chance to stop this offense. So Cleveland's defense was terrible in this game. Again, they look like they just didn't recover at all after the Nick Chubb fumble. So it's hard to to say too much. But again, it's an encouraging sign for Miami going into the bye week that, hey, we can guard here and we can have an explosive offensive performance even in a game where Tyreek Hill is under 50 yards. He did score a touchdown and had some crazy celebration. But you hold Tyreek Hill under 50 yards, and I I use hold loosely because It's really just that the Dolphins went to other guys more so than the Browns stopping them. Uh, Again, Waddle had an explosive play in this game, but not an explosive game. And yet you still had this kind of performance. So the Dolphins have to feel good about themselves. I think against an inferior opponent, the Dolphins accomplished everything they could possibly have wanted to accomplish in this game. And now they've, they've got a tough stretch coming out of the bye, not immediately after the bye. They've got a game, I believe against Houston coming out of the bye. but after that, they've got an interesting stretch of football against some tough teams. So this was a game that was basically a tune-up game. And the tune-up went as well as you could ask for if you're a Miami Dolphins fan.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, Miami was definitely one of my highest teams coming into this year. Um, I had a lot of faith in Tua and that stack of Waddle and Hill and, um, Jeff Wilson Jr. might be the sneakiest pickup of, of the year for this team. That's saying a lot because Hill, obviously, huge pickup. Chubb, huge pickup uh, for the defense. But um, I think they're running Wilson so much to try to keep Mostert healthy is what I kind of look at it as because the one thing with Mostert his entire career has been, can he stay healthy? So Wilson's younger. He's going to have fresher legs. Uh, I would run him more as well and try and keep both of them ready for playoff time Uh, because, as you saw, Wilson had a hell of a game, but Mostert, like you said, also, and and he broke off a nice touchdown run in this game, Um, you know, and Tua didn't even throw for 300 yards, and they got 39 points. So just proving our point that passing yards are not one of the stats you should base how good someone is or not because uh, the highest-scoring team this week, didn't even have 300 passing yards. So, um, again, it was just complete domination by him Miami. I mean, Julius did talk about it at the beginning of the game it was kind of close, but it, after that turnover, it just like he's like Julius said, sealed the fate of the of the Browns essentially. Um, <clears throat> Sean Watson's coming back and practicing with the team now. He can't come back and play yet, but he is on track to play Week 12, which means one more week of football this week, week 11 before we see Deshaun Watson on the football field again. So um, it's going to be very interesting when he comes back, how that offense looks. Um uh, Cause he hasn't played football in two years. So <clears throat> I know he gets to practice now, but that's essentially saying you get two weeks of practice to try to shove two years of actual football back into your life. So it's going to be interesting to see what this team looks like again. I think the moves they've made and, and kind of what's going on has kind of said they're they're playing for next year uh, to try and compete next year. But we'll see what happens this year because there's really no teams running away with anything. You know, there's there's no teams in the NFL that are really running away with anything. So uh, not saying that it's likely they'll make the playoffs or a wild card, but um, never say never. No one's really eliminated yet besides probably the Texans. Yeah. Um, no. But I, I love Nick Chubb. He's one of my favorite running backs in the NFL. Uh, I feel like they need to use Kareem Hunt more now that they didn't trade him. If you're going to keep him, you might as well use him more. Uh, I would like to see a lot of Chubb-Hunt duo backfields. I feel like they don't do that enough, especially with Brissett at quarterback. Um, it was kind of, sort of cool to see Donovan Peoples-Jones show up in a game. You know, you know he's, he's been kind of hit or miss for that team. Um, I knew Amari Cooper wouldn't do anything because it wasn't in Cleveland, and for some reason he only plays good at home. Um, just a weird – that's just a weird stat, right, that like all of his big games have been home games. It's just a weird just weird how the NFL works sometimes. Um, but I think this game was all about what Julia said, Miami coming in, uh, pretty much dominating both sides of the ball and, and really showing that they're not a one-dimensional offense. They, they showed that they can do a lot of different things – uh, especially getting that run game going, I think that's going to be huge for them down the stretch. Um, and look, they're in control, of their destiny. They're they're leading their division. So even with Tua being out for three weeks, Miami is now in top dog. So they 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 kind of hold their the destiny in their hands. So we'll see what happens uh, coming out of the stretch. And I'm excited for the last few weeks of the NFL season, which is weird to say that we're getting to that we're getting close to that point already. Uh, but Week 11 is starting this Thursday, so. Um, You know, we got to start thinking about playoff implications and things of that nature and and draft stock, you know, coming down the stretch here. The next game is the Houston Texans at the New York Giants, my Giants, um, with a nice W to get to seven and two. Uh, If Xavier McKinney had to miss a game and be injured by being something, doing something done in the bye week, this is the game to miss. Not excited that we gave up 319 passing yards to Davis Mills. Um, and if it wasn't for a penalty, uh, Brandon Cooks would have had a touchdown on us. So thank goodness there was a penalty on that play, and there would have been even more passing yards. But um, a win's a win, and we're 7-2, and two and we're only one game out of first in the East now because the Eagles lost, which we'll talk about later. Um, if y'all didn't watch this game, Saquon Barkley dominated, as he's been doing all year, 152-yard uh, game. So he got over 150 rushing yards. Um He's the best running back in the NFL when he's healthy. I think he's proven that this year um, because everyone knows what the Giants are going to do. We have no passing game. The wide receiver core in New York might be worse than the one in Chicago. Uh, I think the Giants might have the worst wide receiver core in the NFL. The Texans may be able to argue that, but I would take Brandon Cooks on my team in a heartbeat. I would take Chase Claypool over David Sills, the fifth, in a heartbeat. So, um, <laughs> you know, Darius Slayton had a hell of a play in this game. If no one saw it, it was kind of like a six-yard comeback route. He caught it, broke a tackle, and then ran 50 yards down the sideline for a touchdown. It was super impressive. It's good to see the passing game do something. Um, I don't think Daniel Jones is the guy moving forward, but, hey, we're 7-2, and, and and he's leading the team to 7-2. I mean, Saquon is in the defense, but... He is the quarterback that is on the field that are, that's helping get these wins. Um, Brian Dable to me, unless the giants fall apart down the stretch should definitely be coach of the year. Um, I don't think anyone saw this coming from the giants. I know I didn't. Um, The fact that they're seven and two is, is just insane to me. Um, You know, I'd, really have nothing else to say about the team Seven and two I think is way overachieving. I'm pretty sure I had them at five or six wins for the entire year and they've already beat that in in, in nine games. so um, and they have good wins too. It's not like they're beating Houstons every week. you know they they've beaten Green Bay. they've beaten the Ravens, you know. Um, so just uh it's just some good wins on their record and and not many bad losses because they only have two. Uh, looking at Houston, this team is just a bad team. Uh, they play hard. Lots of weeks. Uh, they didn't get blown out. Uh, the defense did okay. Again, Saquon pretty much controlled this game. Um, but they're gonna make a. They're gonna draft a quarterback. There's no way Davis Mills is is their guy. I just don't see it happening. Uh, what I'm most worried about for Houston is that they're gonna fire Lovey Smith and bring in a new coach and then draft a quarterback and not give Lovey Smith a real chance. Just like they didn't do it for the coach they hired last year after they decided hey, we're going to F Deshaun Watson over and throw this these lawsuits on him. And so I, that's just what I'm worried about with the Houston. I, I feel like they have no direction. They don't really want the coaches that are in the building. They just keep hiring guys to try and shut people up. Um, and so I think that organization just kind of needs to clean house and start over because look what happened with the Giants. We got rid of the GM, got rid of that coach, and, and now we're 7-2. So um, sometimes you just need to just kind of – get all the rotten pieces out of your organization and start fresh. And, 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 you know, things can turn up, but Houston is the worst team organization in the league. um, And, and they just kind of need to do a full reset. And I think by getting hopefully a franchise quarterback out of the draft, you got to pick the right one, not the guy from Kentucky, Um, but you got to pick the right one. And uh, I think, I think that will be the step in the right direction for this franchise.
1: Yeah, you made all the points there are to make about the Giants. Uh, that's an interesting conversation when you get into what team has the the worst receiving core of the league. Uh, certainly the Giants are up there. Certainly the Bears are up there. You can make an argument with the Texans, especially considering what happened with Brandon Cooks this past week. Brandon Cooks does not want to play there anymore. And I don't know what he was and was not promised. But if you saw him on Twitter, he's not happy that he didn't get traded. He made some comments. He's... He pretty much refused to play in the Thursday night game against Philadelphia. They said he had a wrist injury. I'm not buying it uh, because if he was injured, then why was his captaincy stripped? If you notice this game, this was the first game all year. that There wasn't a C on Brandon Cook's jersey, and so I'm I'm not buying that. So with Brandon Cooks being mentally checked out (laughs) at this point, maybe the Giants have a little bit of a better receiver core. Than houston but at the same time i think brandon Cooks, even on a low volume passing offense would be much happier in new york than he is in houston so there's a conversation and then you know the titans you can put them in a category as well as far as worst receiving cores in, in football so there, there are a few teams uh in competition for that uh title so that's that, that that'd be an interesting discussion to have but uh you know the giants just stuck with what they do run the football you know like Again, I'm talking about teams and how they approach these games. The Giants aren't trying to fool anybody. The Giants aren't trying to prove that Daniel Jones can be an MVP candidate in the right system with the right coach. Ryan Dayball is not coming in there and saying, Daniel Jones, go be Josh Allen, like people thought he might try to do. What he has done is taken a guy in Daniel Jones, who was good for two or three turnovers every game, and said, I'm not even going to give you the opportunity to make these dumb mistakes. And just by protecting the football, look how much the Giants have improved. And you know, when you start talking about the stats that do matter in football, turnover mat- margin matters a lot, a lot more than passing yards and some of these other stats. And when your quarterback is not turning the football over, it makes a huge difference. The turnover is the only way you're going to lose to a team like Houston. So to protect the football is all you need. And then just get a play here and there out of the passing game. And you mentioned that Darius Slayton had the big play. That's all you need. And Saquon Barkley ran the ball 35 times in this game. This is a guy, you know, we talked, you just talked about somebody like Raheem Oster and being concerned about injuries and durability and things like that. It's, it's obvious that the Giants are all of a sudden satisfied with Barkley's ability to stay healthy, even though that's been a question mark for years now. Uh coming out of the bye week, they just said, you know what? You're fresh take all the offense and put it in your hands. So it's impressive to see with all the injuries Barkley has gone through for him to be able to handle a 35-carry workload with no problem. Uh, It can't beat Barkley 35 times every week. And they're going to need to save most of those for teams better than Houston. Now You have an opportunity against Detroit next week. You should probably be able to beat the Lions without running Barkley 35 times. But it's just nice to know that Barkley can do it if it's absolutely needed. Uh, As for Houston this is a team that's obviously building for the future and it was just a rough day all around for their rookies Uh, I talked going back to our draft recap about Jalen Petrie being a guy I liked a versatile defensive back who could line up all over the defensive backfield and make plays he really had tackling issues and it showed up in this game uh Patrick talked about the play with Slayton caught the ball, made a man miss, ran 50 yards down the field. That was Jalen Petrie that missed that tackle. Uh, Lawrence Cager caught a touchdown in the game. And again, the Giants are just fine guys. So who, who's Lawrence Cager? The guys is fine guys in the passing game, just to make a catch here and there. But even on that Cager t- touchdown, the, the nearest defender again, Jalen Petrie. So he played a direct hand in both of the touchdowns for the Giants. Uh, as far as the passing offense goes, you don't like to see that. Uh, When this game was competitive, Damian Pierce fumbled in the red zone. And and Pierce has had a nice season. But, again, it just speaks to the rookie struggles. So this is what happens when you need rookies to do everything for you. And even the Brandon Cooks touchdown that was called back due to a penalty, that penalty was a hold on Kenyon Green, uh, their second first-round pick in Houston. So just rookies making rookie mistakes as part of the growing pains you're going to have as part of what makes Luddy Smith's job difficult because you have these rookies and you have to rely on all these rookies to play such key pieces on the team. And just you're going to have days like this where all the rookies just mess up. Uh, each of those rookies has shown promise, so you're going to stick with them. But they just had one of those types of days you have as rookies. And because Houston's a bad team and bad teams find ways to lose, bad teams don't recover from mistakes, that Brandon Cooks touchdown, you lose that due to a penalty, then you come right back and you throw an interception in the end zone and double coverage, that's what a bad team does. <laughs> so uh, Houston didn't give themselves much of a chance to win this game. And you know they're a one-win team in Week Ten, so you don't expect them to give a chance, give themselves a chance to win a game too often. Um, that's just how it is for them. But uh, congratulations to Patrick Giants, seven and two, right in the right direction. Again, golden opportunity to be 8-2 against Detroit. Can't take anything for granted, but you got to like where you are if you're a Giants fan right now.
0: Next game up is the New Orleans Saints at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm blowing the whistle immediately on the Saints. Why is Andy Dalton still starting? (laughs) Why? Don't tell me Jameis Winston's healthy, and the only reason you don't want Jameis Winston in there, which you said he was your quarterback of the future, of this year, whatever, because of his turnovers and, and his bad decision-making. And Andy Dalton gives us the best chance to win. Kenny Pickett had the most passing yards in this game at 199. And I'm not trying to say passing yards are important. But they can also tell a story of... And Dalton can't even throw for 199 passing yards? In a game that they were losing the entire time? Why? Because he's throwing interceptions. That's why. I'm over it. I'm over it. Don't tell me Jameis wasn't too much of a liability with turnovers and bad decision-making, but then Andy Dalton's out there throwing interceptions. Yes, I was one to say weeks ago when they were playing Minnesota in Europe that New Orleans offense did look a little bit better with Andy Dalton starting, but also had a caveat to that, that Winston's been playing with broken back. If he is fully healthy, you would hope that the offense would continue to be better than when this guy was playing with a broken back. If Jameis Winston starts, and they don't score points for three straight quarters and only put points up in the fourth quarter like he did for the first three weeks, sure, bench him. Say, you know what, this guy's not, this, not our future. We don't believe him anymore. We're going to ride Andy Don out for the rest of the year and call it a day. But you cannot be losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the worst teams in the NFL, when you are actually in a division race because your division's so bad. I just don't get it. It's not even like the Steelers were playing good. The reason you lost this game is because you turned the ball over so much. It it was awful. I mean, shout out to the Steelers for winning. Their defense looked good. TJ Watt looked good coming back off of the injury. I didn't think he'd play again this year, and he's back wreaking havoc in the backfield again. Um, Fit, Mika Fitzpatrick is out, but that secondary didn't miss a beat because TJ Watt was harassing Andy Dalton and getting pressure on it. The pressure the Steelers get when T.J. Watt is in the game is incredible. This defense looked terrible as soon as he got injured. And when he came back, Andy Dalton was shuffling around, moving around, getting hit, having to throw the ball early, and that's what led to a lot of these interceptions. It's incredible what, as I said earlier, with Alaron St. Brown when he came back and how the Detroit offense looks a lot better. When you get a star player back, I feel like everybody else just looks better around that star player because that front four was getting way more pressure than they've gotten. And I feel bad for Joe Burrow because we all remember what happened week one, and they got Cincinnati coming into Pittsburgh next week. And if TJ Watt is hitting Joe Burrow a bunch again without Jamar Chase, who knows what can happen. But um, shout out to Pittsburgh for winning. I'm a big Mike Tomlin fan, so I like every time Pittsburgh wins, but... The New Orleans situation is just pissing me off because I don't understand it. I'd rather have Taysom Hill start at quarterback, honestly, than Andy Dalton. If you're not going to start James White, like I just don't, I don't care. Andy Dalton's been in the league for like twelve years. We know who he is. We know what he can do. I don't need to see any more Andy Dalton, especially if he's turning the ball over.
1: So one thing that anybody knows, anybody who knows me knows, I preach is consistency. So. I have to put it on myself to acknowledge the fact that in this game, the Saints lost James Hurst due to injury on the offensive line. And we're already without Andrus Pete and Eric McCoy. That is your starting left tackle, left guard and center. all out. Offensive lines matter. So if I'm going to say it for Russell Wilson, and I'm going to acknowledge that he's missing everybody on that offensive line and how much that offensive line stinks with a bunch of backups and starters that, quite frankly, weren't that good, I have to acknowledge that the Saints are quite shorthanded. Also, keep in mind, the Saints drafted, knowing that this was a problem, they drafted Trevor Penning to be a solution on this offensive line, and Trevor Penning has yet to play in a regular season game. Hopefully that happens soon. So I want to throw that caveat out there because I am a consistent person that said once again i have to keep driving this point home if you give a backup quarterback long enough eventually he starts to show you why he's a backup quarterback it was all good for andy dalton early on first couple games it was a breath of fresh air Jameis winston was going back to his lead in the league and in interception kind of ways to get to dalton he looks a little better the offense looks better. Alpha Kamara gets going. And you're starting to feel good about yourself. Now you're starting to see why Andy Dalton at this stage of his career is a backup quarterback. It's getting worse and worse. You had this game where you're going against the shorthanded Pittsburgh secondary, missing Minka Fitzpatrick, a secondary that has struggled all season long. And you can't even get the ball to Chris Olave who has cemented himself as a guy who can handle being a go-to guy. The other thing people won't want to talk about is this offense misses Michael Thomas. And again, I know people want to joke him and come him sling, and all this other stuff. Michael Thomas is a very, very, very good wide receiver. He showed that even in limited, limited time this year. It's a shame that he can't get on the field, can't stay on the field. You say what you want about his durability, I can't defend that. But the bottom line is, when you lose that kind of receiver... You, unless you have that Patrick Mahomes type or unless you have a bunch of depth at the wide receiver position, which the Saints don't, you're going to be missing that. You're going to be feeling that. So this offense is not the same without Michael Thomas. This offense doesn't look the same as Andy Dalton starts to look like the backup quarterback he is. And it's just all coming together in the wrong way for the Saints. In other words, it's all falling apart for the Saints offensively. Alvin Kamara was a complete non-factor in this game. This is the second game in a row he's been a non-factor. And if Kamara's not going, and you can't get the ball to Olave, this offense is nothing. And that's what you saw in this game, again, against the Steelers' defense that struggled for the most part. I said, Minka Fitzpatrick misses this game. Safety is the most important position in football. So when you have a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick missing, you need somebody to step up. Demonte KZ in his Pittsburgh Steelers' debut, comes away with an interception in this game and played admirably. He's not making Fitzpatrick. But for somebody who is on a new team, just starting to find his way on the field, just starting to get back due to injury, KZ looked good. Now, again, it's not to say that it'll stay that way. He'll go back to being a depth piece whenever Fitzpatrick can get back from this appendectomy situation, hopefully soon, but not too soon. Don't rush nothing like that. But when you have somebody filling in at their safety position admirably, you can hold an offense at 10 points. Again, not a great offense, but it was a promising performance from the Steelers' defense. As far as the return of T.J. Watt, I talked about this a few weeks ago. Alex Highsmith at one point was leading the league in sacks, and he's still up there as far as the sack leaders this year. And I said, if Alex Highsmith can keep this going, when T.J. Watt returns, now you got a problem. And in this game... It was Alex Highsmith who was getting home for those sacks. Now you have a position, finally, where you're looking at this Steelers defense and you're saying, you know what, for as great as T.J. Watt is, you can't just focus on him because Alex Highsmith can beat you from the other side. That is huge for this defense. This defense still has a lot of things to figure out. But it looks like they've got a pair of edge rushers, and that's not a bad starting point if you're trying to fix a defense. The other good sign for the Steelers, the running game showed up. That was a bad sign for for, uh, New Orleans because Baltimore was able to run over this defense as well, so the run defense is kind of falling apart in New Orleans. But Pittsburgh, all of a sudden, Najee Harris, finally. If you're a Najee Harris fantasy owner, this this is not exactly what you wanted from him, but this is closer to what you wanted than what you've been getting. He had a season high in yards this game. Even Kenny Pickett had his season high in rushing. Even George Pickens had his season high in rushing. Pickens ran for a touchdown on a sneak. Pickens ran for a touchdown on one of those kind of jet sweep type of things, but it was counted as a rushing touchdown, thank goodness. The Steelers just used everybody in every way. Even Jalen Warren, he had some explosive plays out of the So All of a sudden, the Steelers' offense, for the first time, had production out of the backfield. And didn't see anything that suggests that it's going to continue. Najee Harris did have a nice long run. It's the first time all year he's really had an explosive play that I can think of. So it's good to see. But again, a lot of that was just bad Saints defense. The Steelers will need more of this because you cannot put this all on Kenny Pickett's shoulders right now. He's just not ready for it. Even though he's supposed to be the most NFL-ready quarterback in his class, he's the most NFL-ready out of a bunch of guys that aren't NFL-ready apparently. So, You got to find a way to keep this running game going, even if it means involving Jalen Warren more, who has looked like the Steelers' best running back this year. um, They're going to have to figure something out and keep it going, but they're going to have to do this again before I'm sold on what they did. Right now I'm saying this is more bad Saints than good Steelers as far as the running game goes. But again, I'm willing to see. If you can run the ball on Cincinnati, I'll start to believe it a little bit. But Pittsburgh has a lot to show. New Orleans has even more to prove, and even in a division – That it's just been pathetic all year long. New Orleans is starting to circle the drain a little bit. Uh, That's not a good sign. So we'll see what happens with them. Now, going into the game of the week. Of course, of course, of course, I'm not serious when I say that. We have to talk about, because law requires it, our Raiders. And they are unimpressive. 25-20 25-20 to 20 loss at home to the reeling Indianapolis Colts. Now, for the Colts, good on them. Whether it was a Jeff Saturday decision or not, and I'm, I'm not congratulating Jeff Saturday for his first win because he's a Tar Heel. I'm not doing it. But the decision to put Matt Ryan back in the lineup was an easy decision. And I know three weeks ago you said, Sam, Sam Ellinger is the guy Matt Ryan will never play here again, basically. But I'm glad that somebody in this organization said, you know what, that was pretty dumb to say. So dumb that we're going to walk, walk it back. We're going to eat our words. We're going to put Matt Ryan back in. And it's not that Matt Ryan's a savior. He's just better than Sam Ellinger and is not particularly close. It says more about Ellinger than Ryan. But yeah, you had to go with Matt Ryan if you want to be competitive this game and moving forward. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. Of course, he had his longest run of the season in this game, because why not? It's the Raiders. You want to look good? Play the Raiders. It's just that simple. I keep saying it every week. If if you're struggling, the thing you want to see on your schedule right now is the Raiders, even if you're coming to them. I have have said my piece on Derek Carr plenty. I'm not going to... Throw too hard on him in this game. He was average again, mediocre once again. You know Why Why, why did we even trade for Devontae Adams? Just to have a middle-of-the-pack offense. Every other offense that got an elite receiver in the offseason now all of a sudden looks like an elite offense. The Raiders still middle of the road just the way they looked last year. I am blowing the whistle on everything the Raiders' defense did for what ended up being the game-winning drive in this game for the Colts. How in the world do you let Matt Ryan, who might be the slowest non-offensive lineman in football, run for pretty much 40 yards? Where are the defense? I mean, that that is a complete lack of effort, lack of attention. Lack of care that they're like, I don't know what specifically it is, but there is no excuse, no excuse for Matt Ryan to ever run for 40 yards in his life. Matt Ryan did not know he was capable of running for 40 yards. When you watch Matt Ryan run on that play, he's looking to fall down, but he has no reason to fall down because there's no Raider defender nearby and a bunch of Raiders jogging behind him like they can't catch Matt Ryan. Later on this drive, You have Michael Pittman Jr. get the ball punched out, fumble. Darian Butler, all you have to do is fall on the football. All you have to do is understand that I'm Darian Butler and I'm clumsy. But no, you don't understand that. You're not self-aware. So you try to make the hero play. You try to pick the ball up. You stumble and fall down because you're a klutz. And what happens? You give Michael Pittman Jr. the opportunity to recover his own fumble, even though he's about seven, eight yards away. Stop trying to be a hero. Just like I said to Cam Lewis in in the Buffalo game, stop trying to be a hero, especially when you're not capable of it. And so how does a bad team respond after a missed opportunity? I've talked about this with other teams. When bad teams miss opportunities, they make it worse. So what do you do if you're the Raiders after you give up the opportunity to get a fumble? You don't buckle down and make a stop. No, you let on the next play, Paris Campbell Jr. just run an easy slant right through the entire defense for a touchdown. Nice job. Nice job. Chandler Jones. You going to play football this year or not? In his last six healthy seasons, because he was injured in 2020, his last six healthy seasons, Chandler Jones has had double-digit sacks. This year, .5. Half a sack. You gonna play football this year or not? I've seen about as much of John Bones Jones this year as I've seen of Chandler Jones. And for those who aren't aware, John Bones Jones hasn't fought this year. Not seeing much fighting from Chandler Jones either. Chandler Jones, by the way, has four and a half fewer sacks than Yannick Ngakwe, who the Raiders traded away. Again, another former Raider being productive somewhere else. Again, for, for such a bad team, a lot of ex-Raiders doing things around the league on other teams. But hey, you traded Yannick and Gakwe, at least you got Rock Sin back, right? Have you heard Rock Sin's name this year? Because I sure haven't. What is this organization doing? It, it, I've talked about Derek Carr's mediocrity It's a problem. It's not the only problem. There there is nothing to brag about. As as a Raiders fan, there is nothing that looks good on this team except the kicking game. Our best players are Daniel Carlson and A.J. Cole III. That is our kicker and our punter. Those are the best players on the team. Outside of Max Crosby. I got to at least give him credit. I I love Max Crosby. The rest of this team, I, I just shake my head. I just shake my head and, you know, I, I I wish I was surprised. I actually picked the Raiders to win this game, which I don't normally do. But I'm just not surprised by this result because if there's one team that could have lost this game in Jeff Saturday's debut on the road, it's the, it's the Raiders that would lose this game and lose it in the fashion they lost it in, where they're giving up ridiculous plays at the end of the game. You're not making plays offensively. You're you're going you're, you're back now to being Devontae Adams centric. Uh, Adams has 31 targets over his last two games, and there's no reason for that to change. You know, Hunter Renfro is hurt now; he's got an oblique issue. Normally hear that with pitchers, but it's whatever. It's fitting for how the regular season is going. Darren Waller is on IR. Uh, he's as injury prone as Michael Thomas, but uh, people don't talk about that as much. So it's going to be. One, two, three, Devontae out of the huddle every time for the rest of the year, it looks like. There's no reason, no reason at all for optimism for this team. At this point, play for the draft position. That's, That's how I feel about the Raiders right now. And I'm not even saying do that to replace Derek Carr, because I've said it before and I'll say it again. You can win with mediocre quarterbacks. Ryan Tannehill's winning. Daniel Jones is winning. You should be able to win with Derek Carr despite his mediocrity. Get somebody who's an impact player. How about doing that? How about stop drafting the Alex Leatherwoods of the world in the first round? Mind doing that? Not drafting the Henry Ruggs of the first round? Not, not drafting guys like Damon Arnett in the first round? Like Stop drafting bums in the first round. That, that might help you as well. Because you, you keep getting fleeced in trades. At least draft well. Do something right. It seems sucks. And based on what I saw from the Broncos... In their game against Tennessee, I would have said this Denver team looks like a team that won't win a game the rest of the season. But, oh, no. They got the Raiders next. That's the one good thing for Denver this season. They've got the Raiders next week. You should be able to win that game. And the way the Raiders are playing right now, the Broncos might be able to give you their typical 13 points and still beat the Raiders. (laughs) Seems trash. You want my analysis of the Raiders? This team is trash. That's my analysis. Take that and run with it.
0: So, um, yeah, that was the Colts-Raiders game. Uh, Moving on. No, I'm joking. Uh, So, yeah, so um, Jeff Saturday is a head coach in the NFL. His resume looks like mine to be a head coach in the NFL. (laughs) besides I didn't play, I didn't play in the NFL, so that, that is a lie, and you know, I, I actually um have a lot of respect for Jeff Saturday, just from his one uh, press conference that he did, when he was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be a head coach, and he said, he even says, I probably shouldn't be a head coach, but someone came to me with an opportunity, and so I'm going to take it, and he's like, I know I can lead men, and he's like, I did it for 12 years, and to the Pro Bowls, and I've been to Super Bowls, and so, you know, I respected the fact that he he knows he probably shouldn't be head coaching, but i mean if someone offered me a position as a coach in the nfl i'm taking it you know that i would too so i mean i'm not mad at him for taking the opportunity uh, and i have a lot of respect for him for saying that he wasn't going back down from the challenge to do so um as julius said this was probably the perfect game for him to come and be the the head coach for the first time because uh, the raiders have not been looking good at all and and jonathan taylor had a huge game um, for Jeff Saturday, which Jonathan Taylor has not looked that good all year. So, um, Moving on from the Colts to the Raiders, the Raiders just look bad, and and it, it, it blows my mind that Derek Carr can have 5,000 passing yards last year, and again, I know Julius and I say don't overreact to passing yards, but Derek Carr's not on track to have 5,000 passing yards this year. It, it just boggles my mind that With an interim coach last year, Derek Carr can throw for 5,000 yards without a Devontae Adams, make the playoffs, and now this is what your team looks like. I just – it doesn't make sense to me. I know the first few weeks we said that he looked like he was only looking for Devontae Adams, and I feel like things opened up a little bit throughout the next few weeks. Uh, I just don't – and then, you know, they were getting – Josh Jacobs more involved. I just feel like I feel like this is all on Josh McDaniels. Like let's be real. Like his first head coaching gig with the Broncos, he was 6 and 0 until they caught him cheating and filming practices, you know, shout out to Bill Belichick and him learning how to do that from the Patriots. But then Denver got caught doing that. The film guy got caught and McDaniels got fired. Or they lost a bunch of games in a row. Then he got fired. Like his coaching record as a head coach is like eight and thirty-one or something horrific. He he's not a good head coach at all. He, I would never have hired him as a head coach because he also told the Colts he was going to go head coach them and then backed out after accepting the job like three days later. I just don't. He's clearly not a dude of high integrity. If he's cheating already to try and win games and 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 then. I don't know what's going on with the flowers. I don't know if he's doing it on purpose. I don't know if he's trying to tank to get a quarterback that he likes in the draft since the GM has already come out and the owner already came out and said, I have faith in Josh McDaniels. How? How watching this team do you have faith in this head coach? I just don't. I Again, I am not a big dude. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt through the first year of head coaching, but the fact that he's been a head coach before in this league and failed miserably then backed out of the head coaching job, and then now takes this one, and it's failing miserably again with a team with an interim coach that they vouched for at the end of the year that they didn't hire, uh, that they played... Derek Carr played... Look, Derek Carr played well enough to make the playoffs last year and had 5,000 passing yards without a Devontae Adams. You shouldn't regress as bad as he has unless it's scheme play calling or unless Derek Carr has just said, F it, I'm only going to throw it to my best friend, which... I feel like he's been in the NFL long enough. It's not like his second or third year and they got the guy he went to college with. This is not It's not that situation. So I can only say it's play calling at this point, in my mind. It can only be scheme. That's the only thing I can think of. So for me, Hackett and Josh McDaniels are both on the hot seat, in my opinion. Will they both be fired? Probably not, because they've already paid them a bunch of money. And I don't know how guarantees work in coaching contracts, but I'm sure it doesn't work the same way for players, because... Players get effed over by the NFL all the time. But if if I'm the Raiders and if I'm the Broncos, I'm looking at firing both my head coaches even after a year because the seasons have been disastrous. And if you just look at last year, Denver's offense was better with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater than it is with Russell Wilson. Doesn't make sense. Derek Carr and that offense was better with a Devonte without a Devontae Adams. Doesn't make sense. What has changed? The coaches and the schemes and the play calling. Um, yeah, so the Raiders are terrible, though. They, they don't look like they want to win, but the Denver also doesn't look like they want to win. So that game next week is going to be very interesting to see who wants to win the game the least because that's the team that will probably win the game. Um, <clears throat> moving on to Dallas at Green Bay, and I just want to give a shout-out to Aaron Rodgers. My guy saw the tweet that we said don't lose to Dallas in our Week 9 podcast, and he didn't. So thank you, Mr. Rogers. Thank you for listening to the podcast and following our advice to not lose to the Cowboys. Um, in this game, Aaron Jones was a beast, as we've talked about on I feel like every single podcast this year. We want the running game for Green Bay to get going. Um, every week. Aaron Rogers didn't make any crazy mistakes with the football like he did against Detroit, which, again, was super uncharacteristic of him. Um, Dallas's defense is the one, for me, that let him down this game. Uh, there was some very questionable calls by Mike McCarthy. I felt like he was pressing to beat the Packers. I feel like he really, really wanted this W, and it cost his team the W because the play calling. We talked about this when Cooper Rush was, was the starting quarterback. We said Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy need to keep the same game plan that they had for Cooper Rush when Dak comes back. And they don't. We, we talked about this. 3rd and 13, they did a handoff to Tony Pollard in the New York Giants game, and he got a first down and started a 12-play, 89-yard drive or whatever. They will never do that with Dak in the, in the game. They will never hand the ball off to Zeke. I know Zeke wasn't playing, but they would never hand the ball off to Zeke or TP when it's 3rd and 13 with Dak Prescott as quarterback. And it just... and I'm not saying that. I mean, I know they're paying the man, but I'm just saying, if it was working with a far inferior quarterback, why would you not try to keep most of it the same? Mm-hmm. If you want to run certain plays that you think that Dak has the arm for, or that he can make like a certain route combination, sure, throw it into the game plan. Your game plan should not switch up that drastically just because Dak is playing. They're trying to prove that Dak can win them football games, and you don't need to do that. You talk about this with Kirk Cousins all the time. The reason Minnesota's doing so good this year is because he's not asked to throw as much. Mm-hmm. And everyone thought Minnesota's defense was, was going to be the weak point this year because they had so much turnover and so many people leave, and, and just. but that Dara Smith pickup has been crazy for them. But anyway, I don't understand. Especially with a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Why you threw it so much in the fourth quarter? I just don't, I don't, I, and then the fourth down, going for it on fourth down, like I said, I feel like you know, already know how I feel about them coaches going for it on fourth down all the time when it doesn't make sense. I feel like McCarthy, again, wanted to prove a point with his W. I feel like he has a hatred towards Green Bay, probably towards Aaron Rodgers, probably to how his tenure ended. Yeah. And I think he wanted this W that he 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 wanted to he wanted to emphasize this W. That's why they were throwing it so much in the fourth quarter, being up 14. He wanted to win by 21. He wanted to win by 28. He didn't want to win by 14. He didn't want to win by 7. And then you know what? They ended up losing by 3 in overtime. So I put this solely on the coaching. 28 points should be enough to get you a W in the NFL, especially being up by 14 going into the fourth quarter. I don't want to hear about anything else and overtime, anything like that, you were up by 14 going into the fourth quarter. You should be able to hold that lead. Most teams don't lose being up 14 going into the fourth quarter. And so, once again, I, I'm blaming the coaching. Um, I mean, I'm happy Dallas lost. Uh, it helps the Giants out. You know, I know everyone's saying that the Commanders beating the Eagles helped the Cowboys out, but guess what? The Cowboys are still behind the Giants in the standings, so it doesn't make any sense to me, but... Um, <laughs> But this is just a game that uh, after Aaron Jones grabbed, you know, and his touchdown celebration, the Dallas rattled off a ton of points. Um, but Green Bay just kind of hung around, and Aaron, and and shout out to Christian Watson for catching three touchdowns. Um, the Dallas Cowboys franchise love giving up three touchdown games to rookie wide receivers. Um, shout out Randy Moss. But in all sincerity, this, this game could be huge for the Packers. Uh, this could be a huge turning point for their season and to them getting into a wild-card game. They're not winning their division. Minnesota's going to win that hands down. But this game could be huge for them, especially if Christian Watson now has confidence to catch the football. Um, and now he feels what it feels like to get a touchdown in the NFL, right? So Aaron Jones went off. Um, I think this game, I don't think it's going to hurt Dallas as much. Uh, in the long run, but I think it's going to help Green Bay out way more that they got the W. I think it's going to give that team the confidence they need to potentially turn this season around.
1: You talked about how teams rarely give up 14-point leads going into the fourth quarter. You're absolutely right, and the Cowboys had never done that. 159 and oh, when going into the fourth quarter with a 14-point lead and they found a way to blow it. So yours, your stat's absolutely right. This should not happen. You should not go into a four, into the fourth quarter with a 14-point lead against a team that's struggling, against a team that just scored nine points against the worst defense in football, and you can't close this game out. And I have to agree 100% with Patrick on this. Mike McCarthy wanted to prove some kind of point in this game at the detriment Of his own team. The Dallas Cowboys this year are 6 3. Guess what? The Cowboys are 6 0 when they throw the ball fewer than 35 times. They are 0 3 when they throw the ball more than 35 times. Knowing that about your team, why are you throwing when you're ahead? Dak Prescott. It's not that good. But guess what? Ryan Tannehill's not that good. He's winning. Daniel Jones is not that good. He's winning. Kirk Cousins is not that good. He's winning. Why? Just like Patrick mentioned, just like I keep talking about. These teams aren't trying to win because of their quarterbacks. They're simply trying to win with their quarterbacks. Dak Prescott belongs in that same category. You're not going to win because of Dak Prescott You can win with him. You were winning this game with him. Continue to do what works, especially in this game. Tony Pollard, the guy who everybody said can't handle the full workload. First time in his career, he gets 20 carries. He goes for 115 yards. Malik Davis, who was the chains of pace back since you didn't have Ezekiel Elliott available. Malik Davis came in and averaged seven yards a carry in limited work. The running game was working. Why go away? If the running game wasn't working, I'd understand passing even with the league. The running game was killing this game. And you decided to go away from it. Malik Davis looked like a guy that should have got more work. You know, I'm I'm not saying run Pollard 30, 35 times like the Giants did Saquon Barkley. But, you know, if you don't want to run Pollard 25 times, Malik Davis only got the ball five times. He should have got the ball 12, 13, 15 times based on how he was running and the limited opportunities he got. Milk the game out by doing the thing that got you the lead. The only thing I can think of, like, like Patrick said, Mike McCarthy was trying to prove a point. Mike McCarthy wanted to prove that he could make that Prescott look like Aaron Rodgers. And it backfired on him. Because that Prescott's not Aaron Rodgers. Not even this version of Aaron Rodgers. Going to the Packers, we talked Each and every week about the Packers and running the football, because even though you have Aaron Rodgers, even though you have the guy that's one of the last two MVPs, this team right now is built to win games, running the football similarly to Dallas. What do they do in this game? Finally, they take the handcuffs off the the run game. It's, It's amazing. When this team runs the ball for 200 yards, they don't lose. And we talked about that number going into the season. If they run for 200 yards a game, they're going to win way more often than not. Why they don't try to do it is beyond me. There's there's too much clinging on to the pass. Aaron Rodgers attempted 20 passes in this game. I, I can't think of the last time I've seen Aaron Rodgers finish a game, right? And throw the ball 20 times. But you do that because that's what this Packers team is built to do. And guess what happens when you limit Rodgers' in this offense, to 20 passes. More efficient. 20 passes, three touchdowns. Beautiful thing. Let Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon do their thing. Both of them averaged over five yards a carry. And finally, they had the split right. I've been talking all year. There's been too many games this year where A.J. Dillon's ran the ball more than Aaron Jones when both have been healthy. That's ridiculous. Aaron Jones is your best running back. Act like it. In this game, Aaron Jones got about two-thirds of the carries. That's what it should be. A.J. Dillon should be... A banger, change of pace type of back, Aaron Jones should be closer to a feature back. When you have that mix, this is the result you get. And I'll give Aaron Rodgers credit. And I've talked a lot about how Aaron Rodgers, all of a sudden this year, like the grumpy Aaron Rodgers shows up and as soon as one of his teammates has made a mistake, he's like giving up on the game. This game started off with not one, but two Christian Watson drops. Now the Rodgers we've seen all year would have just given up on Now, I don't know if it's because all the other wide receivers are injured and he didn't have a choice or what it was, but this is the first time all year I've seen Aaron Rodgers stick with one of the young guys despite them making early mistakes. And the payoff was huge. Once Watson held on to a football and scored a touchdown, all of a sudden Watson became the player you saw at North Dakota State. You saw a lot of bad out of Watson at North Dakota State, but you saw some good. With the Packers so far, it's been mostly bad. But once he cut on and caught that one touchdown, once he realized Aaron's going to actually stick with me, even though I messed up early, you saw an entirely different Christian Watson, a version of Christian Watson we have not seen this year. I did not expect that type of leadership from Aaron Rodgers. Certainly didn't get that type of leadership from Aaron Rodgers a week ago and so i don't know what clicked i don't know what made this week so special maybe it's just seeing those stars on those helmets we know aaron Rodgers loves breaking the hearts of cowboys fans he did it again but this is a packers team that last week i was willing to bury because i just couldn't believe they got held to nine points by detroit of all teams if you can get the patient aaron Rodgers, which again has not shown up at all this year if you can get that guy to keep showing up if he can show up on thursday if he can show up moving forward And you combine that with this commitment to the run, all of a sudden, you have the ingredients for the Packers. They won't catch the Vikings, but they can make a run if you stick to the formula that works. Ironically, the same is true for Dallas. We'll see which of these teams is smart enough to stick with what's working for them and go away from what's not working for them. Our next game, we'll get into the backup quarterback battle. the Arizona Cardinals able to knock off the Los Angeles Rams, 27, 17. And like I said, battle of the backup quarterbacks, Kyler Murray unavailable with a hamstring issue, Matthew Stafford unavailable with a concussion issue. And I I have questions there because unless I missed something, I don't remember Matthew Stafford coming out of the game last week. So, so what's up with these concussions? I I thought, I thought the NFL was acknowledging this at least with quarterbacks. I know we don't protect anybody else, but at least with quarterbacks, I thought we were being more careful with this concussion thing. so, how does a Matthew Stafford concussion situation pop up in the middle of the week? I got questions, NFL. Got questions. But anyway, both teams down to their backup quarterbacks. Arizona better equipped for a game to handle the backup quarterback situation. You've had Colt McCoy, a guy who's done it for a long, long time, a guy who has come in many times in his career, filled in for a game or two. Uh, this is nothing new for him. So he was able to keep the offense afloat. Uh, with the Rams, you have John Walford, who I'm just amazed he continues to stay on the roster because anytime you need John <laughs> Walford, you get this. And I just, I just I just feel like at some point, you need to find a backup quarterback better than this. Like I said, a good backup quarterback should be able to come in for a couple weeks and keep the ship afloat. Walford can't even do that. So it, it's time for him to go. Uh, they also brought in Bryce Perkins for a couple of very, very unsuccessful plays. I don't know what that was about it was looking very amateurish to uh, when they brought uh, Bryce Perkins in, but yep. That's, that's what his game came down to. Uh, The the big deal here, obviously is the Cooper cup injury. Uh, Again, you you basically sacrifice Cooper cup because he probably doesn't get hurt. If if an accurate pass is thrown, he probably doesn't get hurt as as poor as Matthew Stafford has played. He probably doesn't get hurt. If Matthew Stafford throws that same pass on that same route. So uh, Cooper cup, Basically sacrificed himself for nothing. And now you're talking about potentially season-ending injury. And it's just unfortunately it's just fitting for how the Rams season is gone that they would lose Cooper Cup in a game where they have somebody who's incompetent throwing the football. Uh, Chandler Brewer also got hurt in this game. If you don't know who Chandler Brewer is, don't feel bad. I didn't know who he was two weeks ago either. He's a backup offensive lineman on this team. This is another team. uh, I've talked about it with the, the Broncos. I've talked about it with the Saints. The Rams have had just as many injuries on their offensive line as anybody. And, you know, they were already at a deficit to the start of the season because of losing Andrew Whitworth to retirement. And it's just gone downhill as as much as we thought that would impact this line. This line has been even worse than I could have imagined it would be. Again, mainly because of injuries, but nobody has stepped up and looked even halfway decent trying to fill in on this offensive line. It's affected the run game. It's caused Matthew Stafford to to make mistakes I can't say uncharacteristic mistakes because he led the league in interceptions last year with a much better offensive line but it, it's caused Stafford to to be skittish in the pocket certainly didn't help Walford who probably wouldn't look good even with a good offensive line but they're just when you look at everything that's going on with the Rams it, it, this this is a just a disaster <laughs> it's just a, this is a complete disaster of a season this is why it's tough to anticipate how a team is going to look for the course of a whole season because you can't anticipate this many injuries to every key player on the Rams offense, including, again, the offensive line. But uh, this team didn't look great when healthy, and it's just getting even worse and worse every time they lose another body. Uh, as far as Arizona goes, their defense stepped up, and that's the kind of thing it takes when you have your backup quarterback in the game. So Buddha Baker gets his first interception of the season. The play where Isaiah Simmons tips the ball away to create that interception for Baker. Isaiah Simmons, again, continuing to make plays, continuing to show why he's a guy that I just love in the middle of that defense. Love to see him out there making plays. And I got to do a blow to... uh, Before I do a blow to whistle, I do want to give Buda Baker credit. He was supposed to miss two or three weeks with the ankle sprain, and he didn't miss a game. I mean, this guy is tough. If you've seen him hit anybody, you know how tough he is. But to, to come back so quickly from that injury... Again, it, it might not even be smart to do it, but I give him credit for his toughness. Now to get to blowing the whistle. Blowing the whistle on the referees. You cannot blow the play dead where my J. Sanders gets a sack and it's a clear fumble. Like There's, there's no question that this is a fumble. J.J. Watt picks the ball up and he's gone. And you blow the play dead. Why? Why? Even if it was a forward pass, which, again, it wasn't because the ball went backwards. But even if it was a forward pass, let the play play out. Every turnover is reviewed automatically. You don't have to worry about a coach's challenge. Just let the play play out. If it's incomplete, go back and change it. But let J.J. Watt run the ball into the end zone. You cost the Cardinals a touchdown. Now, fortunately, because John Wolfer is the guy you're going against, it didn't cost you the game. But what if it did? What if it was a more crucial call? You cannot blow the whistle on that play. So I'm blowing the whistle on you for blowing the whistle on that play. And then to make matters worse, the one thing I hate to see is when a referee gets the call wrong, don't compound it by punishing the player later. So later in this game, J.J. Watt had another play where he got the ball. Now this time it was off of a deflected pass, but it was one of those plays where you couldn't tell immediately if it was deflected or not, depending on where you were on the field. Watt picks the ball up, and they blow it dead again. Now, you already know you pissed Watt off because you caught a, caught a touchdown back for no for no reason. And so, yeah, Watt spiked the ball because he's tired of you blowing the whistle every time he touches it, and you give him a 15-yard penalty. So basically, you give him a 15-yard penalty because of your incompetence. So I'm blowing the whistle on you twice. Refs, don't compound a bad call by then punishing J.J. Watt because he should have acted the way you did. Do your job right. Sometimes doing your job right means Do nothing. Let the play play out. Technology is there. Let it help you. Get it right, refs, because you could have caused the Cardinals a game. If you do that same call in a game that doesn't feature John Walford and Colt McCoy, you'll probably get more heat for it.
0: Yo, I don't know what Julius is talking about. I definitely called the Rams looking this bad at the beginning of the season (laughs) because it's the Rams. And even though people say draft picks don't matter, and look, they traded it away for a Super Bowl, Um, you know, it does matter eventually because you do need depth at, at for in the NFL, the NBA. You might not need as much depth as as other sports, and but the NFL is one of the one of the sports that you definitely need depth at every position. Um, and that's just proven with the Rams. Like they they don't really have much depth anywhere, uh, and if a star guy goes out, their team looks awful. Um, I'm mad about Cooper Cup getting injured because. That was helping me win a lot of my fancy leagues, and I don't know what's going to happen now. Not happy about that. Um, I'm blowing the whistle, and this is going to be a fancy talk real quick. I'm blowing the whistle on PPR leagues, and I understand people like points, and they like to see more points, and that's why the NFL made all these rules for the offense because they can score more points. That's why people don't like soccer because they don't understand sports. Um, Cooper Cup had three catches for negative three yards, so he literally did not impact the game. He hurt the he hurt the team. If you're looking at the game, he had three catches for negative yards, so he did nothing to impact the game. Yet he still got three fantasy points. If you're in a PPR league, like in theory, I understand the PPR league, but this is also why it makes no sense because that guy should not have three fantasy points when he literally did nothing to impact a football game. He hurt his team. He had negative yards. That's, I'm blowing the whistle on PPR because they don't make sense. Um, moving on to the game. Uh, Arizona won. I still don't like Kingsbury, um, but this was just a team of who had the better backup and Colt McCoy is better than Wofford. Um, even though McCoy got hurt and Trace McSorley got to come in. Um, this game was just, <clears throat> you know, it could have been Hopkins versus Cup bailing out their crappy quarterbacks, but again, Cup got hurt. So then it was the James Conner and DeAndre Hopkins show, essentially. Um, I also love Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson, so he's cl- clearly one of my guys. Um, but, even though the, the NFC is kind of a muddled, messed up division besides the NFC East, I think I'm going to have to call the Rams season already. I think they're done. I Without Cooper Cup, even if Stafford comes back, they have no running game. Allen Robinson and Van Jefferson ain't doing nothing with Stafford because Stafford only knew how to throw to Cooper Cup. I think this... Think this team is done. Uh, unless their defense and run game can somehow carry this team the next few weeks. Cause Cup could be done for the season. We have no idea. Um, their their season's over. I think their season's over at this point. Um it's gonna be tough to come back even in the weak NFC, again, outside the NFC East. Um, I just don't think they're gonna get a playoff spot. Arizona keeps their season alive with this win. Um, But that's hanging on by a thread, too, because this was a bad team. They beat a bad team. It's not like they beat a good team. So I'm not impressed with Arizona getting a W over the Rams. Moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers and San Francisco 49ers, the Sunday night game. Um, I think it's time to put the Justin Herbert's a top five quarterback uh, to bed. Um, I understand he doesn't have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. You don't have to sit here and harp that to me. I understand he's missing two of his weapons. But at the same time, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't throw a passing touchdown and they won the game. So, um, Patrick Mahomes lost Tyreek Hill and that offense didn't miss a beat. If you're a top-level quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, as people want to make Justin Herbert out to be for some reason, um, you need to uplift your team. And I know Julius and I talk about this all the time. Great you can be a great quarterback, just like Aaron Rodgers, right? Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And he cannot uplift crappy wide receivers. If you're bad, you, you just you can't uplift those guys. Um, Chargers had every chance to win this game, and they just didn't do it. Um, I don't even think Justin Herbert's better than Tua. Uh, I like Tua more than I like Justin Herbert, and I know people would say that I'm crazy for that, and that Tua only looks good because of Tyree Kill. And I always have to go back to... One, Tua has never had a fully healthy season. Two, last year when they started off terrible it's because of Jacoby Brissett, not because of Tua, cause Tua was hurt. When Tua came back, they started winning football games, even without Tyreek Hill. How do you think everyone knows who Jalen Waddle is, besides Alabama? Why do you think people are picking him so high and fancy this year? Cause Tua was getting him the ball last year. it's, it's not like Tyree Kill came in and Tua's now all of a sudden making being better passer. So um We'll see what happens when the Chargers get back Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. We'll see if Herbert looks better. But uh, they shut down Austin Eckler, and as we've talked about the last few weeks when Eckler was going off, Chargers win when Eckler does good. When Eckler doesn't do good, the Chargers lose. So um, what I will say was good for the 49ers, and I'm glad to see Elijah Mitchell back. I like that they brought him back into the mix, and they didn't say because we have Christian McCaffrey that you lost your job. You're not going to get any more work. Uh, I actually like the fact that they were using both backs, um, and Elijah Mitchell got a lot of touches in this game. I I think that's good for this team. Um, Again, McCaffrey's one of those guys that's had a lot of injury problems. Um, It's good to have, you know, fresh legs, especially for McCaffrey, as they make this playoff push. Um, Seattle losing and San Francisco winning, and San Fran having three wins in the division. Um, You know, watch out, Seattle, because San Francisco is – is here to take that crown, and, and and I think they will. And I think that as San Francisco gets more healthy and Christian McCaffrey and all these guys get more time in the system, this team is going to get real dangerous because we haven't even talked about Debo Samuel in a few weeks. We haven't talked about George Kittle. They got weapons. And if Kyle Shanahan actually, instead of just trying to make it so Jimmy doesn't lose a game for him, if he actually, and I'm not saying Jimmy is going to come out and he should be thrown for 400 yards a game. I think they have the weapons though to open this offense up. I feel like Kyle Shanahan never opens his offense up. I always feel like he's been a little too timid in his play calling, even going back to his Atlanta days as an offensive coordinator. Um open your play calling up, man. You got you got playmakers all over the field now. You you gotta open it up. And if Jimmy throws some interceptions, he's gonna throw some interceptions. I'd rather see Jimmy Garoppolo throwing interceptions 40 yards down the field than him just doing five-yard dink and dunk passes the whole game, you know, slant routes and all that stuff. Like I want to see this. Kittle is way better than what this offense makes him look like. I would love to see George Kittle with Patrick Mahomes. You know? Like, I just... Brandon Ayuk is a beast. Deebo Samuel, playmaker. Christian McCaffrey. Elijah Mitchell. George Kittle. You got playmakers all over the field now. Open the offense up, man. Also, Brandon Staley. Bad coach. Shouldn't be a coach. Doesn't know what he's doing. I don't like him.
1: As I said towards the beginning of this episode, one thing I was going to talk about and have talked about a lot is teams and their approach to games and whether it was right team like the Packers, whether it was wrong, like the Cowboys, certainly in the fourth quarter. uh, I just wonder sometimes where some of these approaches come from. I understand that the San Francisco 49ers have one of the better run defenses in football, maybe the best run defense when healthy. But in this game, the 49ers came into the game. It's not, it's not like these guys got hurt during the game. They came into the game without Eric Armstead. They came into the game without Javon Kinlaw. They came into the game without Samson Ebukam. That's three of your key defensive linemen. Why would you not even try to challenge them in the run game? They're missing defensive linemen. You're missing wide receivers. How do they run the ball 11 times in this game, not counting Justin Herbert's runs? Brandon Staley. <laughs> it, it's, it's insanity. I mean, what, Again, these coaches are costing their teams games trying to prove points about their quarterbacks. Justin Herbert is, is in danger of falling into that category of quarterbacks you don't win because of, but quarterbacks you can win with. You don't need to prove in this game that you're going to win this game because of Justin Herbert. You try to avoid running the football at all costs against a shorthanded defensive line and all you have to show for it is 16 measly points, including three points in the second half. Run the ball. At least at least try to. If you tried to run the football and it didn't work, i feel differently. But, like, if this is going to be your approach, like, why, why did you... Make the trade to acquire Sonny Michelle. Why did you draft Isaiah Spiller? What's the point of collecting running backs to sit there and watch Justin Herbert throw the ball every day, no matter if it makes sense or not? So I I hate to see that from from the Chargers. I felt like their approach to the game was the main reason they lost. I gotta once again, once again, blow the whistle on the referees. Dre Greenlaw was ejected from this game, not just penalized, ejected for a hit on Justin Herbert. A hit where Justin Herbert ran the ball, got hit twice before he got to Green Law. So he's a moving target at this point. Greenlaw comes in with a completely textbook style hit and grazes uh Herbert's head. Clearly not intentional. <laughs> It should not have been a foul because time and time again, we're preach When Lamar Jackson gets hit like that, when Cam Luton used to get hit like that, if, if, if a Russell Wilson was to get hit like that, if a Justin Fields were to get hit like that, they would say when the quarterback becomes a runner, he no longer has the protection of a quarterback. So why is it a penalty to hit Justin Herbert there? Justin Herbert's head was lower because he was falling down. He no longer, he's a runner. He no longer has the protection of being in the pocket. But no, you love Justin Herbert. You want him to be great so badly. That you're telling the 49ers, you're not allowed to touch. It. Please explain to me why Greenlaw was ejected from the game. It would have been bad enough to just call a penalty and leave it alone because other guys have been called for illegal hits and stay at the game. Illegal hits have been way worse than this. You got to have real cause to eject a player for one hit, and they did not have it. So, to try that hard to make Justin Herbert the golden child, it's one thing for Brandon Staley and that coaching staff to try to make Justin Herbert the, the golden child of the league. For the referees to be in on this is ridiculous. So, blowing the whistle on that because I, I, just, I just can't stand seeing stuff like that. And again, had that cost the 49ers the game, it would be a bigger discussion than it is, at least for me. Fortunately, the right team won this game, despite the referees clearly showing favoritism there. And I'm sorry, I can't call it anything else, because, again, I've seen it too many times when quarterbacks that don't look like Justin Herbert run the football and get hit similar ways or worse ways, and there's no call, let alone an ejection. That's ridiculous.
0: That's
1: it. That's it. There's, There's no way around it when you see a player like that. Now, getting back to the 49ers, but I do want to at least talk about the winning team for a little bit. I do, and Patrick touched on this, I appreciate the approach with Elijah Mitchell. It would have been easy to say Christian McCaffrey's the prize pickup of the trade deadline. It's his backfield now, just like it was in Carolina. That's what we got him for. Mitchell has earned the right to get playing time in this offense. He's had trouble staying healthy as well. And we've talked about a few running backs that have had that. Mitchell has had problems staying healthy for the year and a half he's been in the league. But when healthy, he has been excellent. And when you watch this game, he was a far more effective runner. McCaffrey, of course, does it in the passing game. But as pure runners, Mitchell was the more effective running back. And as a result, Mitchell actually got more carries in this game than McCaffrey did. And so I have to give a big round of applause for the 49ers for that, because that might not have been the popular thing to do, but the 49ers stuck to the guns of who they are. Run the football, run the football, and run it some more. Even with all these explosive receivers you have, stick to who you are. Don't try to win because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Just try to win with them, And give Elijah Mitchell the work that he's earned. And if there's ever a game where Mitchell's less effective, then give McCaffrey more work. I have no problem with that. But the fact that they're at least willing to say, you know what? We're going to go with the hot running back, even if the hot running back is not the big name, not the superstar guy, not the guy who's on the promos for this game. So I give a lot of credit to the 49ers for on a day where we've criticized and bashed a lot of coaches for poor decisions, poor approaches to games. The 49ers had the right approach, at least with their backfield situation. And, you know, of course, with the game on the line, you know, Justin Herbert ends the game with an interception. I won't get on him too hard because his arm did get hit, credit to Charles Omanihu for coming in there and, and hitting the arm to, to make it a poor throw. But again, if certain other quarterbacks, if Russell Wilson's arm gets hit and he throws a game losing interception, guess what the talk is going to be about? It's not going to be about the offensive line or his arm got, got hit. It's going to be oh, why they pay him so much money. Now, Justin Herbert, why is there so much hype that the game ends on an intercept. And I credit to Talanoa Hufanga who came up with that interception because it was a tough catch. I mean, he had, he had to pull that one off the ground. And it just, it made me think back to last year. And if if, if only it had been Hufanga in place for the interception on Stafford and not Jaquaski tart that play might have became a whole lot different. And Stafford's legacy would be a whole lot different. But that's, I guess, neither here or there. But it just, it just made me think about that. Because Hufanga, I have not seen him really drop too many interceptions. And to come up with that one, uh, that was a tough play. So Hufanga, most important position in the game, coming up with the play to close this game out. Good job on the 49ers. Uh, And I I agree with Patrick's assessment. The the 49ers might not be in first place right now, but they, if they can get their guys back, and it it just feels like like they've been saying this about the 49ers for four or five years now, but if they can get all their guys finally back, they are the most dangerous team in this division, no matter what the standings say. Get to the Monday night game where the Eagles' undefeated season comes to an end with a 32-21 loss at home to the Washington football team commanders. I've been blowing the whistle on the referees a lot tonight. So with that in mind, I don't make this statement lightly. This is the worst officiated game I have seen all year maybe all decade, maybe in the last 20 years. It was bad. This game was that bad with the officiating. Terrible. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who, by the way, had another interception in this game, playing the most important position in football and leading the league in interceptions. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson got a 15-yard penalty for hitting a player (laughs) inbounds. What are you supposed to do? If you can't hit a player just because he's near the sideline, what what is going to happen? I I mean, I think back years ago. Years ago, there was a play where Le'Veon Bell was on the sideline against Cincinnati. They were scared to hit him. He didn't go out of bounds, and he ended up scoring a touchdown on a play where everybody stopped. That must be what the league wants, to call that kind of penalty on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. These defenders are being put in impossible situations. If you can't hit a guy while he's in bounds just because he landed far out of bounds, I mean, apparently you don't understand physics. Do you, do you think just because a guy gets hit while he's in the field of play that he's supposed to land right next to the field? No, he's, he's supposed to get launched to the sideline. Look at where the hit took place. And at some point, you're going to have to start being able to challenge these plays because because the, the cost of these penalties is too excessive. 15 yards, automatic first down, all this stuff, that, that makes too big of a difference. Most of these drives are starting at the 25 or 30-yard lines. When you talk about a 15-yard penalty, you're talking about giving up 20% of the field, basically. For a call, that's wrong. So it's just way too costly for these calls to happen with no repercussions and no way to do anything about it. Now, if it was just that call, I'd say, you know what, it happens. But no, you have Dallas Goddard who, if you're familiar with wrestling, Dallas Goddard basically got put in a mandible claw. I mean, the guy just grabs his face mask, Jamin Davis grabs Goddard's face mask and never lets it go. Pulls him all the way down into the ground, slams his head to the ground, by his face mask, the result of the play is a fumble, and the commanders get a turnover off of that. Now, I just talked about a guy getting ejected, not just a bad call ejected for hitting Justin Herbert on a play that was a clean hit. So you're, what you're telling me is you can't do that to Justin Herbert. But you can take a guy, grab him by his face mask, slam his head into the ground. And by the way, Goddard suffered an injury on that play, and there's no uh there's no timetable for his return. So a dirty play, I'm not saying it was intentional, but dirty nonetheless, is not called. Now you call the guy for getting hit inbounds on a clean hit, then you come right back. And you don't make that call. That is a game-changing call. Turnovers, most important stat in football. You made a game-changing non-call by letting Goddard get pace fast until he fumbled and got hurt. Player safety be damned. If all that wasn't bad enough, the Eagles, despite these horrendous calls, still had a chance to get the ball back one more time. Taylor Heineke slips and goes down. And has two guys fall into him, not hit him, fall into him. And they call a 15-yard penalty, which ended the game. Now, when you look at the play, going back a couple weeks ago, right, I blew the whistle on Justin Fields. Why? Because he jumped over Michael Parsons when Michael Parsons was on the ground and Michael Parsons got up and ran for a touchdown. This is the NFL. You're still alive if you go down without being touched. If those two defenders run past Heineke and he gets up and runs for a first down, we're going to call those defenders idiots. Again, you're putting these guys in impossible positions. Those guys were in full pursuit of Heineke when Heineke decided to just slip and fall. And these guys tried their best to slow down, but they're 300-pound men running full speed. They can't stop in two feet. Again, the lack of understanding of physics is what I see here, and a lack of understanding of common sense. You can't make that call to cause the team to game. Because now the message you're sending, again, for certain quarterbacks and certain looking quarterbacks and certain quarterbacks that have a certain standard of popularity, you're sending a message that anytime Taylor Haneke is about to get hit, he can just go down and if anybody touches him, it's a foul. There's no, no way that the game should have been decided the way it was. The referees ruined what should have been a good game. Take nothing away from the commanders, but these were ridiculous calls. And I'm not even saying that the Eagles would have won for sure. We'll never know. What I am saying is that the referees took an opportunity away for the Eagles to win this game. So this game, as somebody who had had no dog in the fight, my team stinks. So I don't have anything to root for this year. Somebody who has no dog in the fight was pissed off because I want to see good, fair football, and we got anything but that in this game. This is the worst officiated game I have seen all year. That said, the one thing that I do want to give the commanders credit for. They had the ball for over 40 minutes in this game. Their approach to this game was clear. We're not going to try to shut down A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, all these weapons. We're just not going to let them touch the ball. And that approach worked. Their running game wasn't efficient, but they stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it. And their game plan was to hold on to that football, and they did that. So I want to make sure the commanders get credit there. Taylor Heineke played poorly in this game, but for some reason, people are in love with him. And, and again, because he's left, he's going to get the calls from the referees and everything else. He's getting the Justin Herbert treatment from the referees. It, 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 it's wild. But I've talked all year long about turnovers being the most important stat and how the Eagles were leading the league in turnover margin by a wide margin. This game, they finally went negative in turnovers, and you see what the result is. Now, again, the Dallas Goddard play shouldn't have happened. But Derek Forrest made a nice play to get an interception. There was some luck involved there, too. But it was a nice play to get an interception. Uh, the other turnover, Wes Watkins, is behind the defense and for some reason falls down when he catches the ball. Tries to get back up, get stripped. Again, great play by the defense. Nice job to pursue and not give up, even though you were behind. But why does Quez Watkins fall on that play? It's like the, the stars just align perfectly every time Taylor Heineke is in that lineup. So I think the Commanders are in a position where you have to be able to look at Taylor Heineke and know he's not playing good football. But somehow, some way, a play like that Quiz Watkins play happens, a play like that Derek Forrest play where the ball goes through both his hands and A.J. Brown's hands and somehow ends up back in his hands. These are the things that happen when Taylor Heineke is in the lineup for reasons I can't explain. So why, rather than question it, Rather than trying to make logic out of it, I just say stick with it. Squeeze every drop of luck out of that Taylor Haneke bottle as you can. And just roll with it from there. Because some of this stuff doesn't make sense. But uh, if you're the Eagles, this is this is a disappointing way to lose your perfect season. Not that they were going to go 17-0, but you don't want to lose it this way. Uh, if you're the commanders, all of a sudden, you're sitting right there and you're thinking, hey, five and five. Somehow, some way, we're still in this thing. Five and five would be uh, right at the top of certain other divisions that should remain nameless. But five and five here just means you're still in the wild card race. They're still there. And if you're the commanders, you play Houston next week. Houston's a team that usually finds ways to lose. And all of a sudden, you start seeing a path to something, maybe even the postseason if you're the commander. So stick with what's working. Stick with the run game. Stick with these Blind jump balls to Terry McLaurin because they seem to work every time Taylor Haneke throws one. And, again, don't question it. Just keep getting the results.
0: So in a game where the Commanders, as Julius said, had 40 minutes of time of possession, and Philly was ba- – I think they had seven minutes in the first half. It was 23-21. It became 26-21 after the terrible fumble call on Goddard. Um, which was a face mask, clear, clear face mask. So everyone that I've heard say how great Heineke has looked and the team looks so much better with him. Y'all had like 80% more time in possession and were winning by two points. That's not great football. Somehow, as Julia said, when Heineke's in the things that would have definitely not happened if Wentz was starting, or Fitzpatrick, or anybody else that was on that team before. Quez Watkins gets behind the defense. My God, Jalen Hurts, perfect pass. That was like a 60-yard pass in the air. He hits him, he falls down. The defender fell down as well. The defender that was on him falls down. Watkins falls down. But there's another defender. And <coughs> instead of just laying on the ground and getting touched, Watkins says, I'm going to try to get a touchdown. Okay, I'm cool with that. Secure the ball. He gets, He's pushing himself up off the ground. Ball's all loose. Doesn't have to secure. Gets tackled. You have to know there's someone coming to tackle you. Gets tackled from behind. Gets stripped. Devontae Smith, I don't know where he came from. Thank God he was hustling. He tried to get the ball and tried to knock it out of bounds, but unfortunately, there was like four commanders there, and one of them picked it up. So that play would have got them into scoring position. That got them down to like the twenty if he just stayed on the ground. But because Heineke's is the starter, it doesn't. They get a they get a they get a fumble recovery. Then, as Julius is talking about, I mean, I don't. So, I understand the rule, and I understand what the the refs were looking at. They're saying that he gave himself up as a runner, that, that he didn't fall down, that he purposely took a knee. I don't think you should be allowed to take a knee unless you're kneeling the ball down in the pocket. It's too confusing. Just like Julia said, it's too confusing. Now, they wouldn't have thrown the flag when the first dude hit him, but Brandon Graham came in like two minutes after, and, and hit him. So I understand why they threw the flag. I'm not a fan of that flag. I don't think you, on a third down where they were not getting a first down and they would have had to punt it away, I'm not. But also the flag on the punt, when the dude brought it down so he didn't get blocked and then ran out and punted it, one, one of the most impressive punts I've ever seen because that dude booted it like 60 yards on the run, not even full kick. They're going to call... They're gonna call a legal man downfield on a punt? How? When the entire kick team runs down to try to tackle the punter, the punt returner? I don't understand. He wasn't passing it. How's there an illegal man downfield? I just don't understand. So now you're saying that people can't not get blocked and make an amazing punt? I just like there was just some really so that cost them the two minute warning, which would have given them another quote unquote timeout. 'Cause they had to repunt it. There were there was just so much bad officiating in this game. Um, again, Brandon Graham comes in and he, you could tell he was trying to hold up though, because he slid on his knees into Heineke. Um yep, yep. I, I think he did have enough time to stop. I, I again I feel like he took six or seven steps after Heineke was already on the ground. But at the same time, who was prepared for someone to run outside the pocket, run around, and then just kneel down? It's not like he went helmet to helmet and knocked knocked this dude out. Heineke looked at the ref. He did it on purpose. He looked at the ref and was like, throw the flag. Yep. So he knew what he was doing, and he played the rule book, and, and he got the W, whatever. But I'm just not a fan. I don't, in any sport, I'm not a fan of officiating, determining the outcomes of games. And I felt like that happened in this game. Um... Again, Washington could have easily won this game 23-21 to or 26-21, and who knows if Philly even would have gotten down and gotten a touchdown or anything like that. But I would have liked to see them try. They didn't even get an opportunity to, to do it, and it's just it's a shame when the defense actually held them. And again, Heineken didn't play good. People who keep saying that he played good, he didn't. The thing about Carson Wentz when he was in this offense, everyone was touching the ball. Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson. Terry McLaurin. People are only liking Heineke because he only throws it to Terry McLaurin. And McLaurin's getting 100-yard receiving games. Heineke had 211 passing yards. 128 of those went to Terry McLaurin. In the Indianapolis game, you know who he just threw a Hail Mary up to against Stefan Gilmore that ended up winning the game for them? Terry McLaurin. That's why people like Heineke. It's not because he's actually good. They like Terry McLaurin. He's just throwing blind Hail Marys to Terry McLaurin on every play. If anyone was watching that game last night, Heineke missed so many passes over everyone's head. Eagles were playing a cover two, and he threw it over the cover two safety's head. (laughs) I'm just saying, anyone who watches the game can't sit here and tell me that he's good. He's not. And that's not a knock on him. That's not a knock on Taylor Heineke. He's doing what he's told to do. He's coming into the games. He's managing the games, and he has a great story. And I great for him that he made the NFL and he's won games in the NFL and stuff. But we have seen him for a full season when Fitzpatrick got hurt last year. They didn't make the playoffs, so I, I don't I don't know what the Commanders fans want. They I know they're in love because they're winning, and they went three and one with him as their as the starter. And, and you know, again, winning solves everything. This isn't, you're, one, you're losing draft capital where you could have gotten maybe a franchise quarterback to just be mediocre for for another 10 years. I'm just going to say the Commanders won because Dan Snyder said he might sell the franchise. I think there's just good karma with Snyder potentially not going to be the owner anymore. And um, I think that's why they got the W. But a terrible way for Philly to get their first loss. Um, I think it's good they got their first loss in the division, though, because I think that this is definitely going to make them change up their game plans and how they approach games moving forward. Um, I think it's going to give them a little more sense of urgency because you know it's it's not blowing people out. It was the first time not having a lead going into the second half. Like I think this is good for a championship contending team. They need to have adversity. They, they need to be punched in the mouth and kind of realize that they can lose, right? And everything goes wrong. So I think this actually probably is a good thing for them because um, you might see a more inspired Philadelphia team uh, after this loss. And the last thing I have to say to the NFL, um, there's been a lot of tweets and a lot of uh, players coming out in recent weeks talking about turf versus grass. Um, I feel like I brought this up a few weeks ago on our podcast and was kind of ahead of the curve. Um, you need to go to all grass. And I know the NFL brought out this this report of data that says that the same amount of injuries happen on turf as grass. I don't believe it. Uh, and I understand that was quote-unquote ind- independent research data. I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Maybe Julius does, but... I want to know how many turf fields there are in the NFL compared to grass fields because say there's 10, say there's 10 turf fields and 22 grass fields. If you have the same amount of injuries, but you have two thirds, the amount of grass fields that shows you, you have less injuries because you have a surface that has a higher percentage to get these injuries on than you do the other fields. So, I want to know what the split is. And if it's even, if it's 16-16, and which I don't think it is, uh, then sure, let's run with the data. But I need more context for this data of them saying that the amount of non-contact injuries is the exact same as it is is on grass as it is on turf because I don't believe that, again, just running on both surfaces myself, not even being an elite athlete, I can feel the difference. I can feel the difference running on grass and cutting versus running on a turf. Artificial field and cutting. So, and for those of you thinking, oh, what turf field have you ever ran on? I've ran on the University of Maryland's football field and it feels like concrete underneath my feet and ligaments. So, no, I'm not running on like a turf field at some park. I'm talking about an actual football field where football players are cutting and making moves. I've felt that it does not feel like grass. It does not give, it does not have give. So, your ligaments are going to give versus running on a grass field. So, again, it's all about money NFL I'm blowing the whistle on the NFL because they they always love to talk about player safety we care about players that's our top priority player safety this player safety That. It's not true let's let's just call a spade a spade if that was true they'd have grass fields everywhere everyone can afford it I don't want to hear an owner saying they can't afford it the NFL can afford it they're a multi-billion dollar a year industry they can afford it if you care about player safety I don't I'm with I'm with Julius. I don't know what's going on with this Stafford concussion thing, but guess what? I've seen so many hits to the head and, and Juju Smith Schuster locked his fingers up in that game, which was which was nasty, and you don't like to see that. But I've seen so many guys get hit in the head, and if you don't watch linemen, offense and defensive linemen hit their heads and do all this stuff all the time throughout the game, ain't nobody pulling these guys out and having them get checked. I forget what game I was watching this week and a receiver got hit laid on the ground for, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds after getting hit in the head, got up, kind of shook his head and went back into the huddle. No one came on the field to stop and tell him to go get checked out. And that's the thing I'm talking about. No one's going to protect these players. That was my big deal with the whole Tua thing. In the Buffalo Bills game, it looked like he shook his head, fell down to the ground, and they're going to tell me it's a back injury. And if it is a back injury, okay, cool. It didn't look like a back injury. Someone needs to pull that guy out of the game for his own safety. And it doesn't need to just be quarterbacks. You all need to protect all your players. The fact that you say player safety this, we're changing rules for player safety, we're not going to be allowed to do kick and punt returns anymore, we're not going to be able to do this because of player safety. Make the real changes that are going to make a difference. I'm, I'm tired of it. Don't tell me player safety if you actually don't care about player safety.
1: Now, moving on into other sports things. but Before before we do that, I just want to co-sign what Patrick said. The player safety thing, uh, we just see too many inconsistencies. Uh, once again, just just with the Dallas Goddard situation, the fact that you can grab a guy by his face mask and slam him into the ground head first. You can, like I said, put him the man in a mandible claw and then basically DDT him into the ground and not get a flag for it. But it's a flag for falling into Taylor Heineke. And I just want to reemphasize that. We saw Quez Watkins fall down, get up, and keep going and fumble. But my point being, you can fall down and get up sometimes in the NFL. This, This is not college. In college, I would have understood that call against Taylor Heineke or for Taylor Heineke. In the NFL, you can fall down and get up. So you can't put these players in these positions where a guy can just randomly decide to fall down and then you make a judgment call of whether or not he gave himself up or whether or not he can be touched. Because, again, that means if you're a quarterback, anytime you see yourself about to get sacked, you should just throw yourself down in front of the defensive player and get a 15-yard penalty every time. Ridiculous. Now, to get into what's going on around the world of sports, I got to blow a couple of whistles here. This, this, this segment, I try, to, I try not to do this, but sometimes my hand is forced. Got to blow the whistle on Brennan Armstrong, quarterback out of Virginia. You cannot throw two pick sixes in the first 16 seconds of a game. And I but mean, I don't know what's going on with Brendan Armstrong because last year he looked like a pretty solid quarterback. There were high hopes for him this year. And you know, at, at a time like this, it, it's difficult to talk bad about the University of Virginia considering what they're going through right now, but I still gotta do it because I got a job to do here. And this this this, if you watched it. You needed Virginia to come out and set a tone, and they just set a tone the wrong way. Now, granted, it should have been two pick sixes in like 25 seconds. For whatever reason, the clock didn't start on the first pick six until after the ball was caught. So I'm blowing the whistle on the timekeeper because where are you to start the game? But, yeah, two pick sixes to start the game off in 16 seconds. I, yeah, the teams that do that, I can pretty much assure you have never won a football game at any level if you're doing that. I'm also blowing the whistle on Josh Giddy. Now, he's one of my favorite young players with the Thunder. The Thunder have, have some nice young talent. They just got to let these guys play and stop tanking all the time. But uh, Josh Giddy got a turnover in a game recently where he casually took an inbounds pass and threw it off the back of the backboard. You, you, you can't have that. And he tried to catch it off the backboard real quick and throw it in like it didn't happen. Like the referee was supposed to miss all of that. But no, you you can't have a turnover because you're throwing the ball off the back of the backboard off an inbounds. Inbounds play, an uncontested inbounds, by the way. It's not like he was pressured on the baseline or anything. Uncontested inbounds, you can't do that. So I'm blowing the whistle on him. Josh Giddey's a good young player, but he had a terrible moment there. Uh, Going over to mixed martial arts for a second. I was uh, rooting for Israel Adesanya this past weekend. He took on Alex Pereira in a fight, championship fight. Uh, Pereira, of course, Anybody who didn't know that Pereira had beaten Adesanya in a previous life in kickboxing knew before this fight because they talked about it so much. And so I was rooting for Adesanya to get that payback. Again, I I love the UFC's approach more than boxing because these UFC guys look for the smoke, look for the challenges. So Adesanya looking for that guy who knocked him out in a previous life and said, I want that fight. Adesanya was winning this fight. Through four rounds, he just had to make it through the last round and he would have won this fight and he had a moment where he had Pereira on the ropes if the octagon had ropes, but that last round Pereira comes through lands a couple shots and is a huge puncher huge puncher he's, he's huge for him for that weight class they, they didn't look like two fighters that were fighting in the same weight class, Uh, but yeah, they caught Pereira caught Adesanya with some shots and ended that fight I did not think it was an early stoppage some people thought it was. I thought it was a good stoppage, but uh, just, just tough to see because I was rooting for Adesanya to, to, to get his payback there. But I get to give Pereira the credit for hanging in a fight that he was losing and being able to pull it out uh, with a knockout victory in the last round. Uh, there was another really thrilling fight uh, on that same fight card between Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler. Uh, that was a fight that was back and forth, a ton of blood in that fight. So if, if you like that, <laughs> there was plenty of that going on. Uh, good back and forth fight. Poirier ends up winning via submission. Uh, actually, he'd gotten that submission hold off of a takedown from Michael Chandler. So Poirier was able to quickly turn the tables there and get the job done. Uh, Michael Chandler, I've watched him a few times now. Uh, he's relatively new to UFC. He fought in Bellator for a long time. He's kind of a, a latecomer. He was already in his early to mid-30s by the time he got to UFC. But every Michael Chandler fight has been highly entertaining, every one that I've seen. Uh he, he cuts it close, he he fights hard, he fights very aggressively. He exchanged with Poirier, even at times he probably shouldn't have. Uh, but Michael Chandler does seem like one of those guys who he's good enough to beat all of the second tier fighters. Probably not good enough to beat uh the top tier fighters. He's kind of like that 4A prospect in baseball, the guy that's better than everybody at AAA but not ready for the major leagues. That's kind of what Michael Chandler reminds me of. But he's entertaining. In that octagon, so I love watching them fight. Uh, it was a good win for Dustin Poirier, so an exciting night of mixed martial arts for again a casual fan like myself. Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Rookie of the Year awards, they came out in baseball. We're still waiting on some other awards to come out, but uh, Julio Rodriguez named American League MVP, rightfully so. Uh, the man had a major impact on the team from day one he's an exciting player he does everything well and does it with flair he was able to lead a team that hadn't been to a, the playoffs i don't know if they've been to the playoffs in his lifetime before this year and you know for him to come in and have that much of an impact from day one uh he lived up to and exceeded any hype that there was out there about him uh, he was able to edge out adley rutschman for the rookie of the year award uh, would have been interesting had the orioles allowed rutschman to come to the major league sooner to see how that rookie of the year race would have turned out because if the the award was given for who was rookie of the year from july to the end of the season rutchman might might have won it but uh for the overall season uh rodriguez was the right pick and i'm happy to see that uh for the national league michael harris the second braves outfielder wins the national league rookie of the year award i will say this i have no argument against harris winning the rookie of the year he had one of the better well-rounded seasons you'll see from a rookie outfielder and again like rodriguez he just did everything well did not quite with the same flair not quite with the same showmanship as rodriguez but harris uh, showed no weakness in his game and i'm, I'm excited to see what he turns into because he's only 21 years old uh extremely bright future but if i had a vote i would have actually voted for his teammate spencer strider Uh, to win the Rookie of the Year in the National League. I just thought that Strider was that good. Again, nothing against Harris. I cannot argue against Michael Harris winning it, but Strider was a legitimate Cy Young candidate in my mind. When you look at everything he did, whether it was strikeout rate, ERA, uh, whip, opponents' bad average, any metric that you look at, Strider wasn't just leading rookies. He was leading a lot of people. I mean, the top five in a lot of those major categories And he had signature moments. He had one game where he had 16 strikeouts and eight shutout innings. I mean, he just had a monstrous season. And again, uh, I don't know if it's because he didn't pitch enough innings or whatever the case might have been. But uh, Strider would have been my vote. But uh, again, no knock on Michael Harris II. Well-deserved. So congratulations to the rookie year winners, Julio Rodriguez in the American League, Michael Harris II in the National League. And uh, the last thing, uh, just a tough weekend of college football for Patrick and I. Uh, there's nothing good to talk about all that Patrick talk about his Terrapins, but, uh, my Wolfpack, uh, again, without Devin Leary, who's out for the season, our preseason ACC player of the year, who certainly won't win that award Postseason, unfortunately, uh, he's out. The team hasn't looked the same since you're they're going up against Boston college. You're supposed to win that game. Even without you your double digit favorites going into that game, you have a 20 to seven lead in the second half and you can't close that game out. That is a terrible loss for the Wolfpack. Uh NC State came into that game, number 16 in the country. To me, they should fall completely out of the top 25 because that's how bad of a loss it was to Boston College. And it's just uh real disappointing to see. And uh just another promising looking season for NC State falling apart at the end. Uh so disappointing to see there. Um the the one team that had a good uh good weekend for as far as teams I was kind of rooting for was TCU. Uh, so I feel like T- everybody's waiting for TCU to fall out of the playoff picture. Nobody wants them there. And that's kind of the feeling I get. So I think there was a lot of hope that TCU would lose to Texas. Texas Christian pulls off that win, stays undefeated. I'm rooting for them to get to the playoff. I just feel like the teams behind them had their opportunities and uh, didn't didn't capitalize when they needed to. Uh, if Tennessee were to get in or somebody like that, I wouldn't be too upset, but I've seen enough SEC bias over the years. I want to see a new conference have a chance. So I'm continue to root for TCU, and especially now that NC State's out of it, and not that they were in the playoff picture, but just out of it as far as really meeting any type of goals for this season, TCU will be my honorary team moving forward.
0: Yeah, first and foremost, um, moment of silence for the three students who lost their lives at the University of Virginia. Uh, Terrible moment. Um, I think I read somewhere that's the 15th mass shooting at at a college campus this year. Uh, Also at the University of Idaho, there was four kids found dead in off-campus housing. Um, Police, I believe, said it's a homicide, too, there. So, you know, just a sad day around the nation. Um, The worst part about it is I feel like no one is shocked by it anymore. I feel like no one feels anything about it anymore just because guns and and violence and all this stuff is just so it's part of everyday life now. that and they were saying that there could have been bullying or or hazing involved because the one guy was an ex-UVA football player and these three guys and the three guys were current ones but um you know If it was bullying or not, I don't think people deserve to lose their life over that. Again, I don't know. I'm not going to speak on it because I don't have any of the facts. I don't know anything that actually happened in this situation. But it's just sad that um, if one kid was bullied, you know, he felt the need to have to go and take lives. Like, that, that just sucks. That that's where we've come to as a society. That, you know, we can't ever talk or come to resolutions or... Or were too man man enough to apologize to someone for doing them wrong. You know, it's just, it's now essentially becoming, I'm going to take your life if you mess with me. And and it just sucks that three kids had to lose their lives over whatever happened and transpired down there. Um, Moving into the sports, I'll just talk to kind of what Julius touched on already. Uh, Asanya had that thing won. The bell, the bell cost him that match Um, for for anyone who watched it. Uh, he did get beaten in the fifth, but he he had that fight won if the bell did not save save uh, the other guy. So um, yes. sucks sucks for him to the, the way he lost. But got to close it out when you can. You can't go five rounds um, when someone can throw as hard as punches as Julius was talking about. Um, moving on to baseball, I got a real gripe with who won Manager of the Year in the American League. I'm not a huge Buck Showalter fan as it is um, in the NL, but if you're going to give it to someone, I would have given it to Dave Roberts just because he had the best team all year in the entire MLB. Um, I feel like the Mets not winning their division and just collapsing. I felt like shouldn't he should not have won manager of the year. But anyway, Buck Walter won. Um, Terry Francona won uh, from the Guardians. And I'm not saying he didn't deserve it because I think he did a hell of a job this year. He had the youngest team in baseball the entire year. And they got even younger as the year progressed, which is hard to do. Um, And they made the playoffs. they, They made the ALDS. And, you know, all that's great. But as everyone says, this is a regular season award, right? So they made the playoffs. They won their division. Their division wasn't that strong, though, let's be honest. Their division wasn't that good. Hyde from the Orioles should have won Manager of the Year. Not only are you in a division with the Yankees, you also were with the Rays the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and yourself. Three of those teams made the playoffs. And you were contending for a wild card spot after being the worst team in baseball, essentially, last year. The turnaround is amazing. There has not been a buzz in baseball in Baltimore in August for decades. So... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that, that he didn't win manager of the year. Again, Francona did a hell of a job. He had a young team. They made the playoffs. But that division was much weaker than the division the Orioles are in. And the fact that I feel like that didn't get consideration kind of um, that makes me a little bit mad. So I, I'm not happy about that. have no problem with who won rookie of the years. Uh, I kind of agree with Julius, though. Like, I had Nothing to take away from Michael Harris, but I think Strider had a better season um, personally. I am interested to see, and I, I, I'm the same exact thing Joy said. I would have been interested to see if if, if uh, Adley got to start the entire season with Baltimore, how that would have panned out. But because he didn't get called up until halfway through the season, you know it is what it is. But um, I'm interested to see who's going to win Cy Young. I think it's going to be Verlander in the AL hands down. I don't think anyone else is going to touch what he did uh, with his yep. below two ERA, which is insane. Um, in Cy Young's gonna be interesting. I have it to to Sandy out of Miami. Yeah, um, yep, me too. I, I think it, that should be hands down. But I'm I'm interested to see if they in the major leagues if because the writers I feel like make bad decisions sometimes. Uh, so I'm interested to see how that's gonna pan out. But I think Sandy, if anyone doesn't know who that is, he's Sandy Alcantara. Al- Alcantara. There we yeah. go. Um, <laughs> uh, hell of a pitcher. Plays for the Marlins. They're not a good team, but he was the one bright spot on that team. Um, he, out of his 30 starts, I think 19 of them were against a, a winning team. And, and his ERA and his strikeouts and his innings pitched. He pitched the most innings by far out of anyone in the MLB this year. And and his ERA and strikeout to walk, race, everything is just amazing. So I think he's going to win the Cy Young. And then it comes down to MVP. I think the NL MVP, I think it's going to go to Goldschmidt. The only reason why mm-hmm. it may be up in the air is just because Arenado is also up for MVP and they're on the same team. Um, Arenado's war, I think, is essentially the same as Goldschmidt's. Um, Obviously, Arenado's defense is way better than Goldschmidt, so it depends on what they value. Normally, when it comes down to MVP, they value the hitting more than the defense. Um, and That's the only reason I think Machado might sneak in there and potentially take some votes and could sneak an MVP out, but it should go to Goldschmidt. Um, He was robbed of an MVP, I feel like, before. He's had two runner-ups and a third-place finish in the MVP, so I think he finally gets one this year. Again, writers are weird, and having two guys from the same team up there I feel like is going to be make things interesting or could make things interesting, uh, but it should be Goldschmidt out of the NL. In the AL, I want my guy Otani to win it. I think what he did this year, if people actually go look at his stats, he's a top-five Cy Young candidate at pitching, and he's a top-two MVP getter at batting. The season he had is nothing that we've ever seen before. The problem for him is he had that season when Aaron Judge probably had the best offensive season we've seen since Barry Bonds. Um, So, you know, it's going to go to Aaron Judge in the AL. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think it'll be unanimous. I just like Otani a lot, and I think what he does on a night-in, night-out basis, uh, pitching and hitting, it is... We've never seen anything like it. And the fact that he's continuing to do it uh, and hasn't burnt out yet on a bad team and not even playing for anything, I I think is impressive. Um, Moving into college football, TCU's not getting into the playoffs if they don't go undefeated. They have to go undefeated. They cannot take a loss because everyone in their conference has three losses or more. They're the only team that doesn't. So TCU has to go undefeated. And the college rankings that came out tonight prove that. They are fourth still. They didn't hop Ohio State. They didn't hop Michigan. They didn't hop any of those teams. They are fourth. I have a little gripe with the playoff uh, rankings because Alabama, a two-loss team, is ahead of Clemson, who's 9-1, and one, and Alabama's 8-2. and two. I just don't get it. The SEC bias is, is ridiculous. I understand Clemson has a really nasty, ugly loss to Notre Dame, um, but that's their only loss. They they d- dismantled Florida State, which that's looking like a great win now every week as Florida State keeps grinding out wins and, and putting up numbers. Um, I think that could change because Alabama's not going to make the SEC championship game. Clemson's going to the ACC championship game, obviously, playing North Carolina, who's ranked 13th or 12th or something. So obviously if Clemson beats them, I think they hop Alabama in the final standings. But... I think it's pretty much assured that no one from the ACC is getting into the playoffs because they're not going to hop all the teams that they're behind now unless USC blows up. Um, but they're not going to hop Tennessee. They're not going to hop Alabama unless Tennessee has a bad loss moving down the stretch, which I don't think is going to happen. So um, just kind of my gripe right there that Alabama, a two-loss team can be above a one-loss team at this point in the playoff standings because – at least one of those teams is making their championship game. Alabama's not even going to make the championship game. So I, I, I just don't like that. Um, and Alabama should have lost to Ole Miss, even though they didn't. But they should have lost to Ole Miss. So um, I think those are just things you need to take into account as a playoff as a playoff committee. This isn't the AP rankings, right? Like I, I don't know. It just It just grinds my gears because I feel like the playoff committee is still biased, even though they're supposed to be unbiased people that – Supposed to make the best decision for college football. So I'm hoping TCU goes undefeated so it keeps Tennessee or one of these other teams out, even though I think Tennessee will leapfrog into it uh, because Ohio State and Michigan have to play each other. So um, I like Georgia at one. I think Georgia should make the playoffs even if they lose in the SEC championship game. I think they're just that good of a team. And I think that's where things will get interesting. If LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, I don't see it happening. I think Georgia is the best team in college football, but that's when things will get wild. As if if there's an upset there, um, we'll see what happens with Ohio State and Michigan. But I'm pretty sure the Pac-12 and the ACC are not going to have teams in in the playoffs. Uh, Big Ten will probably get one because it's going to be Ohio State or Michigan. Then um, after that, you could three you could see three SEC teams. You really could, which I think is just sad for college football because you get to watch those guys play each other during the regular season. So I think the whole point of the playoffs is supposed to see teams that you don't get to see play each other. Um, But that's just my take on college football right now. But I'm excited because I love college football. I can't wait to see the rest of the bowl season get started, and I can't wait to see uh, championship, conference championship games happen, and kind of see where this thing shakes out. Because again, a lot of these teams play each other down the stretch, so. We'll get more clarity as things kind of progress here at the end of the season, and I'll talk about the t- <coughs> I'll talk about the Terps. Um, had a terrible game at Penn State. Offensive line got dismantled all game. Uh, Leah had no time to throw it. He looked terrible, uh, but the offensive line and just everything did not help out. Um, Chop, who was on our team last year as a freshman, transferred to Penn State. Got a sack that made me upset because he could have been on our line, um, you know. And just Penn State, just the better team, you know. We're, we're Maryland's not the program where, where we're at where we can compete with the guys who get better recruits and stuff yet in the Big Ten, but th- we're going in the right direction. I had no thought that we were going to win this game. I did not think we'd get shut out, um, but our offense just couldn't do anything, and then you had some turnovers and you just had some bad plays that um, you're not going to win many games like that anyway, even if you're not playing a Penn State. So, um, you know, dis- disappointing uh, stretch here. We get Ohio State this week, I think that's going to be another – massacre, but it's in Maryland, so maybe maybe we can pull out a, a victory. Last time Ohio State was in Maryland, we almost beat Dwayne Haskins uh, in Ohio State, so you know, it's possible. You never know. College football, that's the thing. Any any given Saturday, anything can happen in college football, so um, pretty sure it's going to be a blowout, but we're at home. Maybe Ohio State doesn't travel well and, and, and has a hiccup game. Who knows, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with what Maryland and Locks has done to turn around that football program. We, there was never hope ever with that football program for the last decade. So for him to come in and give us hope and we're already locked in for a bowl, you know, it just makes, makes the college football season more exciting for, for me. All right. That's going to wrap up this episode of the two guys, four balls podcast. As always follow us at two guys, four balls podcast. That's on Facebook. It's on Instagram, Twitter. Um, we appreciate everyone listening and giving us feedback and giving us comments and questions. we love to answer them. Um, As always, you know, we'll be back next week with our Week 11 analysis, and we are really starting to get into the meat of the NFL schedule, and things are going to start coming down to playoff implications here soon. So, you know, getting really excited. College football, like I said, is wrapping up. Uh, NBA and NHL are getting started, so we got a lot of exciting things to talk about in the future. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast.